The primary election is almost here. Vote centers will be open May 7th from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Make your vote count. Visit vote.indy.gov for more information. This message was paid for by the Marion County Election Board. Here is the advantage, Jimmy Cook, in having, and this is going to sound like I'm being sarcastic or thumbing my nose at it. I'm not. I'm saying this actually in in favor of it. The advantage of having your star NBA player, your rising face of the franchise, your all-star level potentially at some point in his career, all NBA player. The advantage of having a guy like that come out of Iowa State and play the beginning of his career for the Sacramento Kings is this. No matter what you want to say about the in-season tournament, it means something to Tyrese Halliburton. It was a quote last night. He's never been a part of a playoff game, and for him – He's treating this like a playoff game. Right. That atmosphere for him is exactly what the NBA wants out of the in-season tournament, especially for young players. And as you mentioned, Jake, rising stars that have never tasted that. This is the, for lack of a better phrase, this is the gateway drug to the playoffs for those that have never been there. And that's what Tyrese Halliburton experienced last night. And that's what we likened it to after their loss to Philadelphia on Sunday. Because even though there's a day off in between, and that wouldn't be the case necessarily during the postseason that was a simulated playoff series you got punched in the mouth in game one how do you respond in game two and this time even though they did they weren't full at full strength Philadelphia wasn't their key pieces were there Joel Embiid did play Tyrese Maxey did play you got a look at what a game two would potentially look like with an in-season tournament stakes sprinkled in on it and you got the type of performance that if you were to see that come May, after a disappointing opening round game, you'd be proud of what you saw from the Pacers. And I'm proud of what I saw from the Pacers last night, not just because they're now in the driver's seat in the in-season tournament, but because Philadelphia is a good team. Philadelphia is a they great are. team, a team you're chasing in the standings of the East. And sure, you got punched in the mouth on Sunday, but you responded even in a game of many runs where it's only a one-point advantage you held going into the final quarter, and you end up winning by six. Now, we have uh, here in the studio, and good afternoon to you here on a Wednesday. My name is Jake Quarry. That's the voice of Jimmy Cook. Eddie Garrison is here, but only in presence himself. Eddie, you're off today. Is that right? Sure. Okay, yeah. Eddie's hanging out. Carl Showbiz. Is that really your last name, Carl, or is that because you're wearing a Dodgers hat? (laughs) It is not my real name. It's my stage name for when I'm uh, doing my work. Okay, so Carl is filling. Can I, is it okay if I just go with Carl? That's fine. Okay, I think of Showbiz Pizza when I think of Showbiz. <laughs> well, who do you think owns it? You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why it's gone, right? You yeah. sold out the Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah. Uh, Carl is going to be running the board for us because Eddie's getting set to take vacation. So Carl is getting familiar with uh, manning the ship here for us. But um, we have Petey the pink pacer flamingo and apparently some surgery was done right jimmy yes we had some leakage of the air variety okay to borrow from jmv to borrow from jmv of the air variety i will clarify that and 
Eddie, even though you treat it as a day off for him, became surgeon right before our very eyes. Like seeing an episode of ER. This is a lot like many of the aspects of my career where Petey was a great idea that is now slowly deflating before our eyes. And we can't actually see whether or not he is going to stay upright and uh, not actually become completely deflated over the next three hours. But it was not deflating last night for the Pacers. And Alex Golden is going to join us today on the show at 2 o'clock to talk about exactly that. There's also some NFL news that we'll get to. Rhett Lewis is going to join us, who you hear doing Indiana football, but also covers the NFL as well. He'll join us on the program today. But to look back on last night, I thought what Indiana did, and again, it fascinated me, and I saw them do this with Giannis. And we talked to Chris Denary yesterday, and I thought Chris Denary made a really good point when I was talking about Bruce Brown and whether or not Bruce Brown, when you use him defensively, and Bruce Brown, for example, having to at times shadow Giannis or even match up with Giannis when the Pacers had beaten Milwaukee here at the Fieldhouse – what they did in that game was Giannis would come across the midcourt line and immediately Bruce Brown was on him. And then later, Andrew Nimhard kind of helped out as well. And, and it just suffocated Giannis where he couldn't get into rhythm and he couldn't get the ball into the his typical comfortable operating areas. And you can't do that forever. Eddie Gill and I were talking about the fact that you can't sustain that for an entire game. But last night with Joel Embiid, I think they basically said, you know what, like Maxi got 50 against us. And we'll see whether or not Maxi can do that again, but we're not going to have Embiid completely set the tone and dominate offensively what he wants to do. And when we talked to Chris Denary yesterday, I had mentioned Bruce Brown being the guy that was cutting off the snake at the head when, for example, when Giannis, in doing exactly what I was just explaining – and I started to mention Nimhard, and Chris Denary said, well, don't forget about Aaron Neesmith as well. And Neesmith was the guy that did that last night. And it just not – you can't do it in totality. PD has bowed out. <laughs> you, you can't do it in totality, okay? Yeah. For the course of the game. But in moments and in spurts, you can do it enough to interrupt just rhythm and flow for a guy. And they did that last night with Joel Embiid, who still you know, can do Joel Embiid-type things. Don't get me wrong. But when you combine defensively their ability to home in on that with Tyrese Halliburton again having a sensational game with – he did have a turnover and then they took it off the board. There was there was a play in the third quarter where there was kind of a loose ball and he was the last to touch it before it went out of bounds. But I guess they, they ruled that he didn't actually ever have total possession. So I think he went again without a turnover in the game but was sensational down the stretch. They hit big shots down the stretch. But, Jimmy, last night, and I'm not saying that this is indicative of, like, the way it's going to be all season. But last night to me, do you know who I – the most important player on the Pacers floor for me last night? And it sounds ridiculous because Halliburton had such a big game, and Halliburton is such a great player, right? I have a nominee as well, but maybe it's the same. I'll bet it's the same. Give me the university the guy played at collegiately. Texas. Okay, great. We do not have the same, but yours is equally viable. You go first. Mine's Miles Turner. You talk about, and I get it, Embiid still had 39, but you look at their history against one another, 
and Miles has wilted at times, and he's not had his best performance when Embiid's on the other side of the ledger. He had two points going in to the fourth, and yes, there's plenty of game balls to go around, but he has 15 of his 17 when they needed it most, which is in that final frame. And I'm not saying that he's necessarily going to bottle it up, but he's now figured it out, and when they draw the Sixers again, that he's not going to have struggles at times, but I get it winning time is some points in this sport a cliche, but you needed that from him. And yes, there were other key contributions. Tyrese Halliburton has the dagger three late, but you take away that fourth quarter performance from Miles Turner, I don't think it's the same outcome. I think it's Philly by five or Philly by seven. So that, that's where my, maybe not my turning point moment, but my tip of the cap moment would be Miles Turner in the fourth. Not Gonzaga. Also a good guess. The guy that, and this is why I don't necessarily buy into like plus minus. The guy that I'm about to mention, and hear me out here, sometimes things are seen most in what they represent. Aaron Neesmith has had games this year where he has scored 25 or more. He can be a really good three-point shooter. He was only one of five last night. He's a guy that when the ball comes to him and it doesn't have to go designed to him, if he gets the ball in rotation and they need a basket, he can score. He was only two of eight last night. He only had four rebounds and two assists. And he actually had four fouls. Did all that in 22 minutes and only scored six points. But to me, the hero last night was Aaron Neesmith because of what he represented. And what I mean by that is this. Aaron Neesmith, as we have talked about numerous times, is a guy that for the better part of his career was a natural scorer and goes to Boston, gets drafted there, doesn't really crack rotation because they had a lot of players at his position, gets a second lease on life and comes to Indiana. And most guys in that situation would be like, okay, I want to show what I can do. But to have a game where his role was to play 22 minutes, but to go in there and essentially sacrifice his evening. You're not going to have fun tonight, Aaron. You're not going to score a lot of points. You're not going to have the ball rotate over to you. You're not out there to, to, to come in and create off the wing. You're out there for one reason and one reason only, and that is to stand there and disrupt and make things difficult for Joel Embiid and to get him off rhythm. And that's not going to be fun. And Joel Embiid still was 11-22 from the floor. But he was 17-17 from the line, which is where he got the majority of his 39 line. And he still had 39 points, for crying out loud. But he didn't necessarily, when it came down to it, Embiid, Philadelphia in the last couple of minutes of that game was very discombobulated. And I think the reason they were discombobulated is because they never got the chance if you've played basketball before, you know sometimes the game is just about flow. It's about flow and feel and rhythm. And Philadelphia late in that game never had any of that, and a lot of that is because the guy that so much of that rhythm and flow facilitating through is Joel Embiid, and he kind of never knew when he was going to be checked up because a guy like Aaron Neesmith said, my night tonight is going to suck. I mean, it's not going to be fun. I'm going to have to go and shadow around this brontosaurus that has like game from anywhere he wants it to be on the floor, but I'm going to try to meet up with him on a spot on the floor to take it away from him. And that kind of a sacrifice and that kind of a selflessness is the kind of thing that teams 
build upon over the course of the year. And when we talk about the overused words in sports like culture and, you know, mindset and all of those things, we talk about those things all, all day long, Jimmy, right? Guys talk about it all the time. You go in a locker room, guy after the game, well, you know, just the culture around here. Come on. It's buzzword, right? Well, you know, we just it starts at the top and buzzwords. But when you actually go out and you have tangible, visible evidence that guys are willing to say, you know what, I'm going to do this because it's the best thing for the team, that becomes contagious to the rest of the roster. And that's why last night I thought Neesmith was golden for Indiana. It was especially critical in that first half when you have Smith have to leave and ends up being out for the game with, I believe it was a concussion. They had to go small. And Neesmith was part of that where they hold Philadelphia late in that first half scoreless for almost four minutes. They have a 9-0 run over that stretch. Neesmith winds up hitting a big three, as is Halliburton, but that's where it starts within the chess match of a game. You don't want, as you mentioned, Jake, to have this flow and consistency established with a team like Philadelphia, and you hope that as you kind of chip and wear away that it's going to lead to the flustered nature that the 76ers operated with throughout that fourth quarter. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think there's a lot of game balls you go around with a lot of leap forwards you could highlight the trend continues of as long as Tyrese Halliburton is on anybody else can have their night Eddie mentioned this but obviously with him in his CEO meetings left and right didn't get picked up over the airways right. but Eddie highlighted Obi Toppin 27 point night for him there's been nights where it's Turner where it's Toppin where it's Matherin where it's been Neesmith or Nemhard, and this is part of the area they're going to hang their hat on not necessarily they're going to be a perfect defensive unit but from an offensive standpoint, they're one of the very best in the league. And any given night, it can be a combination of Halliburton and just pick a guy off this roster, and he'll be there for you to score. But additionally, we knew going into the season, they wanted to play fast. They wanted to play with a sense of urgency and purpose, and we can outscore almost anybody in the league. And they've done that to a pretty high success rate so far this year. But you're also hoping for just a minimal bump game by game of how they're going to look defensively. 40-point third quarter given to Philadelphia. Not great, but you outscore them by five in the final frame and you make enough plays down the stretch defensively to where that's an improvement for a year from a year ago and that's the type of growth and improvement you want to see out of this unit that Rick Carlisle wants to see out of this unit for where they actually want to go this year, which is to get to the playoffs and to make a little bit of noise. And if that means as well, capturing the first NBA Cup, which they are on their way to, as many people want to eye-roll it, and I agree, it needs to be incentivized a little bit more, I think, to fully take off. Maybe you reposition it with where it happens in the calendar year, but it's going to grow. This is its first year, and at minimum, in this market, we'll see if the fans wind up caring about it, but the players and your star player in Tyrese Halliburton clearly does. The floor disrupts me, though, I have to admit. Like... It has to be odd as a player. I don't know how to word this. It sounds so weird. But, like, when you look at the in-play tournament floors, the the paint scheme on them makes it difficult to basically differentiate different areas of the floor. Yeah. Like, if you were playing and you're down there on the floor, I mean, you always have feel for where the basket is. But just, like... You look down, and whether you're 35 feet from the basket or like eight feet on the wing, you're just in this sea of red or sea of blue or whatever. It, it has to be. 
what did Rick Carlisle say? Like the one for the 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 floor for the Pacers looked like an aquarium. Yeah, I've heard aquarium. I heard some people call it a pool. And I don't know if this is from NBA discussion tables within the league, or if the players just don't care. But I think the only way the courts would really become a problem is if you have players, especially star players. Think of a Steph Curry. Think of a player that has insane range. If their consistency or their shooting is affected by their footing on the floor, not like slipping, but like depth perception of where things are, and there were enough of those complaints, maybe the league would step in. I would agree, though, not every court is created equal in terms of the in-season tournament. Some are really hard from a visual standpoint, especially if you're at home on TV, to grasp where everything is. Right. As long as it doesn't impact the players, probably fine, but ideally you'd not like to have it be a turnoff for viewers. Uh, This from my buddy Jeff, by the way. Wood Warbler Coffee is Jeff's business and it's fabulous i grew up with him um he goes jake 17 is not a majority of 39 brother bottom line is for the pacers they need to get better defensively or playoff talk is all talk what i meant was his 17 baskets he made 17 free throws and he made i think 11 from the floor so the majority of baskets made were free throws made is what so i might have said majority points but you know what i'm saying the one area where Embiid was in rhythm was at the free throw line last night but the point about defense from Jeff is valid it's a good point what I'm saying is I do think that coming up with those small plans like the way Neesmith played are are big you know I mean it's you, you can't run until you're walking first and it begins with mindset as much as anything else I think they have three really good defenders in obviously Brown and then I think Neesmith has the ability in Nemhard those three defenders but it leads. It, it's. It is again cliche about leading by example. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it is about leading by example, and I think that Neesmith last night did that. Several people have asked about Jalen Smith, who suffered an injury and, out of precaution, was removed from the game and taken, I believe, for essentially the NBA equivalent of concussion protocol. Uh, This from Mike Preston of the Pacers, who works in their PR department. There will be additional updates tomorrow following practice on Jalen Smith, but he did return home with the team on the plane last night after the game. So he did return with the team last night. um, And further updates will be provided and probably information will be provided about Jalen Smith tomorrow after practice but the good news is he was not held overnight in Philadelphia he did return with the team last night on the plane yeah I nor Jake are going to try to be doctors here but I don't really ring full-scale alarm bells unless the headline is yeah he's still over there he couldn't fly like as long as he was okay to fly doesn't mean he's perfectly healthy but the fact that he was able to travel with the team is a good sign. I thought Obi Toppin uh, played well last night. You know, I think he's still kind of trying to figure out, and maybe they're even trying to figure out, like, what exactly, where he kind of fits in with everything. But I thought Toppin last night, uh, you could certainly make the case his best game as a pacer. I mean, 12 of 15 from the floor, for crying out loud. But 27 last night, I thought Toppin was really good. Yeah, that's the piece that he was drafted to be in New York that he never really got the opportunity to be because of the log jam that was there with Julius Randle. And again, he's still is a liability at times on defense, but he doesn't have to do that, that type of scoring output. He's not required to do that every single night because of the depth of this team. 
if you can get it and have it summoned in situations like that, like a big, I know it wasn't prime time necessarily in terms of the national audience, but a big in-season tournament game that by all accounts had a little bit of a playoff buzz and a playoff feel there, you want guys like that that you can rely on. And, and I get the concerns about defense, and I'm still concerned about them as well, but like the third quarter that happened where they get outscored 40-32 to 32 and they're only up by one, go turn on any NBA game on a Tuesday, on a Thursday night, this early in the season, that is where games tighten up and big runs happen all the time in the third quarter. That's not news to anybody. It's not to say that it can't be fixed, but like that runs happen there all the time. What I care most about, and yes, the whole defense wins championships thing. I'm not saying it doesn't matter, but what I care about is where are you making separation in the fourth quarter? If you're giving yourself a chance Heading into that final frame where you're maybe down a possession or two or up, I like the Pacers' chances because I think they can outscore anybody in the league. But also, on top of that, I really believe that they have the ability to lock down in crunch time. And you saw it happen against Philadelphia. Again, there's no health excuses there in that matchup. Embiid played, and he had 39 points. And Tyrese Maxey, fresh off a 50-point outing the night before, winds or two nights before, winds up putting up 27 on 9 of 23 shooting. Like that, That is an improvement from where you were a game ago against this team. So the long-winded way of saying it is all teams in the league have these defensive struggles. Where I want to see is what are you doing in the fourth quarter of close games? Where are you outscoring? And where are you getting the stops that you need? You need to see more of them on a nightly basis from the Pacers. But that that is a win, what you saw last night in terms of how they closed that game out. Uh, Eddie, did we get an update from you on, on how things are going in your degenerate side of life? You seemed more relaxed today than you did on Monday. Have you, have you punted and thrown in the towel and now you're having to move? What's going on? No. You ever seen Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Of course you have. Of course. I, Eddie, at this point, has taken the money. He's walked away. I'm not saying gotcha. he can't step okay. back into the hot seat, but he's, he's walked gotcha. away. Okay. Eddie, am I yeah, framing that correctly? Yeah, correct. Okay. Right. Correct. Okay. So you decided you had this – you came in the other day and you were talking know, about I some know. new car you were buying with all this sure. money you were winning. <laughs> yeah. And then you and I told you, I go, look, you go to Vegas, walk around the big fountain show at Bellagio that's not built on people winning. And, and <laughs> so you figured that out and you walked, right? Correct. Nobody cares about this, so I don't want to elaborate too much more into this. So, yeah, I'll just say yes. I'll bet, you, I'll bet your significant other does, Right. Who says she knows? <laughs> she does now. <laughs> Although she, she does she know what actually does she know what you do for a living or does she think you're working at the Amazon warehouse? Does uh, she know? He's she just does. said that he's a CEO. That's it. That's all. I don't think that Shannon knows anymore what I do for a living. That's Ever good. since the, the the you know she has a regular job, right? Sure. So so now you know I'll I'll happen to mention every once in a while. I'm like, oh, did you happen to hear the show today? And she's like, oh, which one, Regis and Kelly? And I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> no, no. He's not around anymore. No, that that show's not on anymore, right? Haley but now we're all no good idea. because Carl's yeah. got showbiz in the last name, so that's what we're doing here, right? Exactly. We are here to educate and entertain in a showbiz fashion. We'll continue talking about the Pacers, but. There's big news taking place in the world of the National Football League, and we'll let you know next on something that happened that might have actually allowed the Colts to continue to merge from that right lane over into the left, and things traffic may be opening up. I'll explain next. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 35 minutes before the hour of 1 o'clock, Rhett Lewis is going to join us top of the hour, talk a little NFL. Speaking of the NFL... Jimmy, yesterday we were talking about, and I had mentioned actually, and I guess this shows my complete um, naivety about this team, although I think this caught everybody off guard. I will admit to the fact that when he came into the league, I thought that this guy was going to be a really special player. And all signs indicated to this guy being a really special player. And people were like, man, I didn't think he'd be this good. And I'm like, well, I, I watched an awful lot of him. And he was pretty darn special and just had an it factor. And that it factor turned into a, another IT word factor when all hell broke loose in terms of allegations against Deshaun Watson in Houston that – certainly seem credible I'm not here to even though he was never convicted of anything and no charges were brought against him it's not my place to say by any stretch of the imagination that he is innocent or guilty of the things that he was that were accused against him but it was enough so that Houston decided to separate ties from him and then the Cleveland Browns obviously in very aggressive and by some accounts questionable fashion backed up a Brinks truck to his house and gave him a ton of money all guaranteed all guaranteed. And Watson, you know, in Cleveland, if I was a Browns fan, I probably would be really apprehensive about it. I think it shows that you root for laundry, as Jerry Seinfeld used to say, because there were probably a lot of people that, you know, every other team in the league is like, Phew. yeah, okay, great, and try that. And he just, there seems to constantly be drama around him, which is odd because when he was in college, there was none, no sign of any of that, quite frankly. I mean, I wasn't around it, but I followed it pretty closely. Um, but clearly there are issues there, but this is not necessarily any sort of off field, but rather on field issue that Deshaun Watson in Cleveland is sitting there at six and three. And I had said yesterday, Jimmy, it it felt like Cleveland was starting to get some footing underneath them. And Watson, albeit in a very slow timetable was starting to show for a guy that hadn't played in basically a year and a half. He was starting to show some signs. I saw him make a few plays, especially with his legs. Late in Cleveland's win on Sunday where you're like, okay, so Watson might actually be kind of putting it together a little bit here. And if so, I'm not saying that makes Cleveland an AFC can, you know, favorite, but it certainly made them a team that you had to think about in the playoff and wildcard situation. If not their division, I mean, Baltimore game up on them. Now, All of that said, yesterday, apparently, Deshaun Watson had two MRIs done. One was on an ankle and one was on his shoulder. And I think it was after the game when he finally said, you know what, my shoulder is actually really bothering me. So they looked at the ankle and said, okay, you got a a high ankle sprain. You elevate, put some VIX 44 on it, and uh, watch a lot of prices right, and we'll see how you are. Then the shoulder, they did an MRI, and they went, whoa, wait a minute. You have... I think it was like a chipped bone of some sort in his throwing shoulder. So Deshaun Watson, out for the year. Surgery. Done. Shelf him. Question is, is Cleveland a team, and we know this, because 
you know, we saw Cleveland come in here and Deshaun Watson leave the game and Miles Garrett basically lift Cleveland to victory because Cleveland's defense is really, really good. And defense can keep you around in games for sure. I mean, Baltimore, the team in their division, has won a lot of games before the Lamar Jackson era based on the strength of their defense and just having an offense that is sustainable, right? Now, P.J. Walker becomes the guy in Cleveland, but Dorian Thompson-Robinson is also on the roster. The question is, can Walker, is this a donut tire? Does the longer Walker play, the more he gets exposed and Cleveland becomes susceptible and vulnerable? Question for you, Jimmy Cook, is does this, in fact, open up a spot, yet another one, for Indianapolis to check off of somebody that they can now pass in the second half of the season in terms of the wild card chase? Yeah, I'm taking them out. I, I think it's done for Cleveland. Do you, you really? St- you still play Jacksonville. You still play Cincinnati. Pittsburgh was an ugly game the first time they played each other. Probably the same here. But you don't have – I mean, you're looking at Kenny Pickett versus – probably be a Thursday night game or something. You look at Kenny Pickett versus just whatever the Browns decided to throw out there with P.J. Walker, they still have to play Houston. And that's tough opponents as described by NFL's power rankings. There's four games that are still left. Colts play three of the same. So I'm not saying they're fully clear there, but they also still play – the Jets, which has been a roller coaster in its own right, but they have a good defense. That's probably an even footing matchup between those two teams. Denver, who, again, unless they're able to win a turnover battle four to one the rest of the season, I think this is really a flash in the pan for them. But who knows? They're coming on a little bit. And then they have Chicago and they have LA. With the Colts, you still have the luxury of the Titans, the Falcons, and the Buccaneers. And then mixed up with. The Raiders, too. So, I don't know. This thing's going to get squirrely quick. But Cleveland, if I'm looking at where the blood in the water is right now within the back half of the playoff standings, I would take them from likely to get in to likely to be replaced by one of the Bengals, the Colts, the Bills, so on and so forth. What about you? Do you see it that same way? I, I just see it. Here's the thing. I think their defense is elite. And, you know, do they maybe adjust game plan a little bit? I, You know, I guess you probably have to without Watson in there. But I think the danger the Colts could get into, though, Jimmy, and this is, you know, this is fair for us on Sports Talk Radio or fans in general, but I think it's dangerous probably for the team itself. I'm not saying they do it. But you have to take care of your own, right? I mean, you got you got to look at what you're doing. But it does feel as though – I. You know, you mentioned the games they have remaining. You know, Jacksonville. I don't consider that an automatic for the Jags just because the Jaguars' offense, I mean, when when def- Trevor Lawrence, I think, is a truly special player. But as we saw against San Francisco, he is also a player that if you don't properly protect him and all of a sudden havoc is is being created around him, he is a guy that can get off kilter a little bit and get out of rhythm and – things go pretty flat so I don't I think Cleveland's defense is going to keep them in some games and truthfully what 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 do you think the number what's the magic number of wins what's the magic number for the wild card in the AFC 10 11 10 you sweat it out 
11 gets you in. Now, give me Cleveland's remaining schedule again. Do you have it in front of you? By game or just opponents that are just left? By game. Okay. Just just, just by, tell me the by game, and, I'll, and, I'll, and we'll just say, because we're going to do it this way. And I know that people are listening right now. They're like, Cleveland Browns, who cares? Well, it does affect Indianapolis to an extent. They're ahead so, of the Colts right now. You're chasing okay. them. So so give me – so they're at six wins, right? Give me their Give me their remaining schedule, and we're just going to do knee-jerk knee reaction immediately out loud, win or loss. You ready? Go. At home against Pittsburgh. Uh win all right i'll say loss okay on the road against denver win i'll say win on the road against la which la sorry <laughs> man that hasn't happened in a while on the road against the rams i'll say loss i will say loss kyron williams should be back by then that'll stabilize some of their running game uh at home against jacksonville win i'm gonna say loss i think i think that you i'm gonna write it going? off as a one-off bears browns in cleveland uh, Win. I'll say win. Browns in Houston, Christmas Eve. Uh, Probably a loss. I'll say a loss. Okay, so I've got them at 10. You've got them at 8. Okay. Uh, two games left. At home against the Jets. A win. For the sake of the exercise, I'll call it a win, but I think that's a toss-up game. Okay. Uh, on the road against Cincinnati, that's a loss. Yeah, so you've got them at 8, and I've got them at 11. So if you if you average the two right there nine and a half that puts them right right in the thick of it right Pr- probably about where so now let's look at the Colts the Colts are at five and five pull up the Colts schedule and the Colts remaining schedule the Colts have seven games remaining they need to go basically you're saying you think five and two right I, I think five and two puts you in the same spot you're in today which is there's a bunch of teams that are right there with you with the same amount of wins and tie breaks come into play I think you need eleven. To be set, no sweat. Okay, now, so the Colts at five. Give me the Colts' remaining record, or so, the, the remaining schedule. Obviously, by week, yay. All right, after that, hosting the Buccaneers. Win. I'll say a win. Okay. On the road against the Titans. Win. I'll also say a win. On the road against Cincinnati, loss. I'll say loss. At home against the Steelers. I'll say loss. I'll say win. Okay. On the road against Atlanta. Uh, I'll say win. I'll say win as well. Okay. This is a game that bit them a couple years ago. In Indianapolis, Raiders come into town. New Year's Eve. Yeah, they beat the Raiders. All right. I'll give them a win there. Final game of the year, Houston comes into town January 7th. I'm going to say Houston beats them. I'm going to say Houston beats them as well. Okay. I've got them at nine then. You've got them at 10. I'm at 10. So that puts them right... They're, I mean, what did I have the Browns at? Eight. You had the Browns at eight. What'd you have them at? I had them at eleven. Okay. So basically, the way we've got it right now, they're sitting at that awkward four-way stop where both is looking at the other, like, no, 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 you go, you, you go, you go, right? And if they both wind up with ten, the tiebreak gets you because you lost to head-to-head. Correct. Like I've said before, Jimmy, the the thing that really could hurt them, quite frankly, is that decision late in the half. That decision late in the half to not take a knee in the first half, but to rather try to to get points, and you get a sack, you get a you get a strip sack, and and the game completely shifted to Cleveland at that point. And Miles Garrett literally, like, to this day, I mean, most teenage kids have posters of you know, like in the seventies they had the Fair Fawcett poster on the wall, in the nineties it was Pamela Anderson. Today it's I don't know who it would be, but like Miles Garrett has like posters of the Colts offensive line on his wall. He's like, heck yeah. 
that 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 just gets me going. I understand we don't like to do this. I do want to pivot and then come back to the Colts for just a second. Uh, CEO Eddie Garrison, can I trouble you, if you don't mind, for a breaking news sounder? Is that perhaps in your wheelhouse? How big on a scale of 1 to 10, Jimmy, is this breaking news story? Seven. Okay. On, a, he- on a surprise scale, five on the magnitude of what it is. Then we're going to do it as soon as we come back. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. 18 minutes. Still 18 minutes before the top of the hour. Jake Quarry along with Jimmy Cook. Eddie Garrison here as well. Carl Showbiz, better known as now Carl Chuck E. Cheese. It's the updated version of the moniker running the board for us. Um, Okay, so Jimmy, you said that we have some breaking news to get to, correct? We do indeed. This from Shams Charania of The Athletic. Daniel Tice and the Indiana Pacers are in serious talks on a contract buyout, which would clear the way for the veteran big man to sign with the Los Angeles Clippers pending a physical exam. Sources tell The Athletic and Stadium Clippers front court depth could be arriving soon. I'm just connecting dots here, Jake. No idea if the two are related. Just an observation with that tweet and what happened last night. Daniel Tice out of the game on Tuesday for personal reasons. Then this breaks today that the Pacers and Tice are in serious talks on a contract buyout. Nothing official yet. Here's my thought on that. Daniel Tice, I have been, and I will continue to say, I have been a believer in what Daniel Tice can bring to Indiana. Now, I'm obviously not in the locker room. I'm not privy to you know there are a lot of things that can go on that you don't know about unless you're truly on the inside and I get that but you know I had somebody internally for Indiana last year at the beginning of the season and when I say internally I mean like like high up a person who has the ability to have voice And they said to me, you know, the one thing this team needs is an enforcer. And I remember Steven Adams' name being brought into the equation. I love Steven Adams. I do too. Um, Steven Adams looks like, by the way, one of those, the three bad guys in like Superman 2. The ones that live in like the little little flying saucer (laughs) thing. Sure. He looks like one of those guys. But I've also, and I find this fascinating, I had a conversation once with people like talking about the the mid-90s Pacers teams that this town fell in love with, the Reggie Miller era. And at the very top, it was said to me, like, look, maybe the most important piece of all of that in building that team was not Reggie Miller, was not Rick Smith, was not – Derek McKee was a great player. 
But the most important piece might have been Dale Davis because Dale Davis, we knew what we wanted Reggie Miller to be, but teams were too physical with Reggie, and it was difficult to get him, especially coming on baselines off screens, and defenses knew they could push him around a little bit. And then we got Dale Davis. Need some muscle. And not only was he correct, not only was Dale Davis able to free up Reggie Miller off of those screens, and I realize it's you see less screens today than you did. I, I get it, right? But it was a it was an attitude and a mantra and a fear factor that came into other teams of, well, now all of a sudden it's tough to deal with Indiana because they have an enforcer. And then you added Antonio Davis, and it was buy one, get one, right? Enforcers back then are tone setters now. Right, They don't do the same thing in Correct. terms of physicality, but their presence is still felt. Correct. So I'm not saying that the Pacers necessarily need a Dale Davis to go in there and like rough things up. But I did think that, and it was basically insinuated to me a year ago, the vision we have for a Daniel Tice, who was admittedly kind of probably a throw-in, and a salary match in terms of the trade. I think I think he came over in the Brogdon trade that netted them Aaron Neesmith. And and I could be wrong in that. We might have to look that up, but I, I think that's right. Um, but I do think that Tice, the, the vision for him was that he was a guy that – a dirty work guy. The guy that comes in, sets a couple of screens. The guy that comes in and – just kind of frees things up, gets a rebound here or there, dives into the front row after a loose ball. Like, that's the kind of stuff and the kind of people that you need, right? And I think that they envisioned that for him. Now, he was banged up last year, so you didn't you didn't get an opportunity to really see what it was that he could do. But now that he's healthy, I think he was frustrated. And, and I don't know why... And again, I don't mean that in a in, in a to-question-them fashion. I don't know the reason why he has not cracked the rotation other than just maybe from an athletic standpoint or a free-flowing standpoint they wanted to get away from what it is that he brings to the table or what they thought he could bring to the table. But clearly it reached an impasse where it's like, you know what, They're, we're just not going to be able to um, – get him in the in the lineup and in the minutes and maybe they want to do him a solid because he's a veteran and so he's going to be on his way elsewhere I mean that is the good principal practice that you're supposed to have as a franchise if there's a piece you don't need and there's an amicable way to get them to a better destination you'd like to think that most organizations are going to try to do that the Pacers are one of those organizations he's played in eight games in two years he's had one game appearance all season and he I felt bad feel- for him because he came off a summer where he played well, and I think he thought he was going to crack the rotation. Won a gold medal, like right. yeah, you're you're you you have all that emotion and that exceptional play for your country, and you come back over here, and your thought is, okay, maybe this is a jumping off point for me in the second half of my career, and I'm going to revitalize things here in Indiana, and it's just not there. So this isn't like that's why I gave it a five in terms of the overall magnitude of it because it makes sense that said I I didn't know if it was actually going to happen that's why it kind of caught me off guard and surprised me but there's not going to be a you're not getting a second round pick for Daniel Tice like the option is either cut him or buy him out by the way way, um, it's a financial penalty friend of the show Derek White who went to Germany to watch the Colts play just dropped off at the front desk and Eddie went down to retrieve it Uh, what do we have here Eddie some chocolate goods from Germany is that right yeah 
I've got about four, four zero bars. Okay, so that's zero, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, some chili chocolate. Now wait a minute, wait a minute. Germany kind of known for its chocolate, right? Yeah. So, so like let me some... so let me get this straight. I, <laughs> I just want to make sure that I'm clear here. Germany, relatively known for. I mean, when you think chocolate, you think internationally speaking, you think probably Swiss chocolate, right? Belgian chocolate. Sure. Right? Uh, and then, you gave us? Oh, really good. Is it good? Oh, yes. Tony's chocolate that I brought you back from the Netherlands? Yeah. Okay. Very good. And then German chocolate is really good, right? So, Derek, I want to make sure that I'm clear here. Derek White went all the way over to Germany to bring us back chocolate and has brought back the Zero Bar. Now, I'm, I'm looking here to see, uh, you know, maybe made in, I'm not even sure, you know, perhaps Berlin or Munich. I have to or, imagine or this was a late addition to the gift package uh, that the was Hershey Company, Hershey, Pennsylvania. Oh, manufactured in Canada. I didn't know that they're outsourcing. So it is foreign, at least, right? And I don't know if you know this or not, but Zero in German, Zero. Actually, Zero, yeah, who knew? Strange. Okay, so what else do we have here, Eddie? Is this uh, is that word safe? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Richard Men's mini chocolates, right? Yep. Okay. Are these bonbons? I, I don't know. And super. Oh, nice. Uh, they, they, those are. Oh, yes. It says right there. Uh, Oppen Nackling Inkning Fluff, right? Now let me see here. Are these are these ice cream or are these little like ding dongs? Mit Super Richard Men's get their spat bloss. Nachnis, Schlag, Lockerer, Scham. Should we just open one up and try it on the mini? Sure. This looks like it might have been tampered with. I'm not sure. Do we know how trustworthy the German folk are? Maybe, maybe like it didn't it, make it through customs. Yeah, this looks like the... What do we have here? So Eddie Eddie is breaking open. This always makes great radio, but we're bringing it... Everybody that's coming... The Colts have come back from Germany. They're on the buy now, and, and we have these... The, oh, these are very light. They smell like uh, junior mints. So this is, essentially, it appears to be a small bonbon that is actually a wafer cracker or wafer cookie covered in dark chocolate. Well, you got to get Carl Showbiz one. I know. Come on. I had to get let Jimmy get one. Carl, do you remember yeah. Showbiz Pizza? Uh, yeah. But I don't think it was a West Coast thing. <laughs> Billy Bob was the name of the gorilla at, at Showbiz Pizza, I believe. That, that well, Look at Carl. He doesn't. He just went right for the whole thing in his mouth. What, what do you think? Carl? Call the ambulance if I collapse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were the guinea pig here on the yeah, on yeah, the, the possible uh, the possibly tampered box. Thank it's you, Derek, like for the camera. Marshmallow candy. and chocolate. Well, did you already try it? Yes. I took a bite. <laughs> okay. Have you had the zero bar, Eddie? I have not. Do you want to try a zero bar? Jimmy, have you had a zero I'm bar? I'm not had a zero bar, Jake. Hold on. Carl <clears throat> Showbiz, have you had a zero bar? No. Okay, listen. I'm here to culture all of you, and we now know that this is culturing because they're manufactured in Canada. Eddie, take your zero bar. You guys all each individually have a zero bar. Zero bars will change your life. Did you get one? Zero bar, I had mentioned the other day. Now, let me let me give the background on this, okay? Quite some time ago, I was in a gas station. Now, Carl, hang on for crying out loud. What are we doing here? Good Lord. Lunchtime. My goodness. Like, we haven't even boarded the plane, and Carl's already up using the bathroom. Come on. So several months ago, I was in a gas station, and I said to the woman at the gas station, I go, hey, I have a question for you. She said, okay. I said, if a guy came in here and said, I'm going to take an orange sticker, I'm going to put it on the bottom of a candy bar, and if I come back two years from now and I inventory your candy bars and that orange stickered candy bar is still in the store, you get $5 million. What candy bar do you pick? Implying which candy bar is the one that you would sell the least. And she goes, oh, it's undoubtedly zero bar. I said, you know, that makes sense because I've always seen them in the silver wrapper, but I've never had one. So I bought one. And I got to tell you, 
it was unbelievable. I'm like, where has this been my whole life? They're fabulous. Now, let me ask you guys real quick. Eddie Garrison, you do or do not like white chocolate? Uh, I like white chocolate. Jimmy, you like white chocolate? Love white chocolate. But looking at the wrapper, there's one thing in here that I don't like. Silver? Ignore the caramel. Just get past it. You'll be fine. Boom. You'll be fine. It'll all blend together. Okay. Fudge. You like fudge or don't like fudge? Yeah. Carl, you have now taken a bite of the zero bar prematurely. Thank you for playing our game. Uh, what did you think? I, I my teeth got into it. I didn't taste it. He wait, he, he he stopped. He didn't he I didn't stopped. commit. He didn't I commit. Didn't, uh, wait, wait. You told him to wait, so he waited. Okay, so guys, go ahead and try your zero bars brought in by Derek. Okay, this is the finest German chocolate via Canada, apparently, and see what you think of the zero bar. I'm telling you, like it is the it is the most underrated, underappreciated candy bar. This is the Aaron Neesmith of candy bars. It does the little things. I've right? opened the bar. Eddie's opened the bar. Eddie's taken a bite. This, I will this not take a bite. The, this is the Zaire Franklin of candy bars. It looks like, like a payday from the outside. Isn't payday? No, like, payday's no, covered really. in peanuts. What am I thinking of? I don't know. It's good. That's delightful. Yeah, good. It, it, I'm telling you. The aftertaste is great. Like, yeah. for, for a candy bar that, like, you never, like, literally, how much attention does it get? Zero, right? That's how they named it. It's fabulous. So, too, is Rhett Lewis, and he joins us next. Rhett Lewis from the NFL Network going to join us in just a second. Before that, though, Jimmy, we now know that what we just told you, and this is the world of fast-moving news, it is now official, right? It is indeed. It's breaking news from Adrian Wojnarowski. Veteran center Daniel Tice has agreed on a contract buyout with the Indiana Pacers and now plans to sign with the Los Angeles Clippers, assuming he clears waivers. This after the Clippers lost backup center Mason Plumlee to a sprained MCL. It's going to keep him out. For several weeks, that's now done. Daniel Tice is no longer in the Indiana Pacer, and if he clears waivers, likely to end up in L.A. with the Clippers. Um, I thought the guy, again, thought he was a good soldier while he was here. I, I don't know the inner workings of the locker room, but um, best of luck to him in Los Angeles. He can now here, here. go and uh, help out in distributing the ball to the many places it needs to go for the Clippers. Uh, joining us now on the program, he is a host on NFL Network. And in addition to that, of course, you hear him, and I heard him, very almost incredulous excitement with Indiana as they forced overtime with Illinois before the Hoosiers dropped one on Saturday. But here primarily to talk about the NFL is Rhett Lewis back on the program. Rhett, first off, how are you, man? Good to talk to you. Hey, appreciate you guys having me back. Um, it was, uh, yeah, man, it was the uh, euphoria of that comeback was quickly replaced with the utter disappointment of that final touchdown from Illinois. But that was a fun game to watch. I uh, wish it would have ended up in a better spot for IU, but um, there's still some, uh, still some trophies out there to be won this season. Okay, speaking of orange teams that wear orange in Illinois. Let's shift that to the NFL <laughs> yeah. and the Cleveland Browns. Sure. We were talking about this earlier. Um, Cleveland is, you know, it wouldn't be of a lot of interest in Indianapolis, the fact that Deshaun Watson we now know is going to be out for the year for Cleveland, except for that is a team that, as I always say, is kind of in that left lane for the wild card that the Colts are trying to find an opening in traffic to move over. Does this eventually kind of take Cleveland back out of the running for that spot or did they have enough defense to sustain themselves and hang around in that wild card grouping you know the defense is really good like it just it just it's really really good from up up front all the way to the back end 
Um, man, it, but I, I think we've seen enough of P.J. Walker to kind of know where we're at there. Dorian Thompson-Robinson, you know, maybe he gets a shot here moving forward too. Um, I, that's, that's almost the, the route that I would take there. Um, but I, I think they'll have enough, and they've got, a, they've got a little bit of a cushion here too, so they've got enough to, to kind of try to figure something out and still be in this thing when we get to the fourth quarter of the season. But, I mean, look, let's, let's, just, let's just be honest. Backups are backups for a reason. And so, you know, the thing that I would be curious about is, um, you know, w- what happens in Tennessee? And is there any chance that uh, the Titans would consider, you know, moving on from Ryan Tannehill in a way that the Cleveland Browns could then go trying to make a, a push there? I, just, I think they need something a little bit more stable at quarterback to ultimately get to where they want to go. When you look, Rhett, at that grouping in the AFC of teams. Mm -hmm. Look, for the Colts themselves, and I know people here don't want want to hear it this way, I'm going to, for the sake of the conversation, we're going to assume that either Jacksonville or don't rule out Houston, but we're going to assume that one of those two takes the South and that if the Colts want to get in the postseason, that the wild card is their ticket to do so. Okay? So – Amongst those teams in the AFC that are listed as, quote, in the hunt, and it may be Indianapolis, so be honest. Tell me the one right now that you feel like at this point is kind of pretender and you don't think they can sustain where they are right now. Well, I'll be honest with you. So you want to leave Jacksonville and Houston out of it at the moment? Um, because I, I'm not so I'm not I'm not 100 percent all in on Jacksonville in, in, with the way that they they played you know recently against San Francisco. Obviously, I know they were on the, the win streak up until that. Um, I really like where Houston's going, so I think they're trending upwards. Whether that's AFC South or Wild Card, I think they're going to be in it to the finish with the quarterback. Um, as far as the teams, you know, I, I think the margin for error for the Pittsburgh Steelers is really small. Um, it's really small because of the way they play offense. Now they can use that to their advantage and they can, you know, if they, the way they rediscovered the run game this past week was, was something, you know, that may give them a formula moving forward, but they play good defense. Kenny Pickett takes care of the football generally. And they can, if they run the football, take the clock uh, down, take the air out of the ball, you know, they're, they're going to be in games. But again, I think their margin for error is small. So I feel like they're going to have a tough time holding serve as we get, as we get down to it, as you look at the explosiveness that the Ravens can play with. And then the Bengals, you know, I know they lost this week, but I'm not counting them out in any, in any stretch. So I, I would kind of look at the Steelers as maybe one of those teams that's a little bit vulnerable. Our guest is Rhett Lewis of NFL Network, as well as you hear him on the IU Radio Network. Rhett, let's look at the other side of this coin. And Jake and I kind of agree that the other side of this coin is probably too far out of reach for the Colts, but I want your perspective on it as well. Yes, every team is trying to win. No teams are actively trying to tank. Jobs are on the line, both for coaches and players. They're trying to win each and every day they're out there. If things go south on the Colts, though, at 5-5 five and five mm-hmm. right now, are the teams below them too far in terms of losses already added up for their draft position to improve in any capacity? Are we past that point at this stage of the season? 
Yeah, I think you are. Um, I think, uh, you know, look, Arizona maybe starts to make a push with Kyler Murray back. He certainly makes them dangerous. But the Carolina Panthers, you know, like they're not going to improve their roster enough over the course of the next eight games or seven games to truly get themselves out of the basement. So, like, I think they're destined for number one right now. I'm not sold on the Bears winning a bunch more games. I mean, the Giants – uh, I mean, are just a disaster at the moment. So I mean, like, I, I think you're looking at you're looking at probably you know a selection probably outside of the top ten at this point with where the Colts are um, because they could still win games. You know, Gardner Minshew is is good enough to win some games, and obviously they've got enough talent in the backfield to, to help them. And then on the defensive side of the ball, I look at this as a really interesting stretch, though, guys, uh, for the for the Indianapolis Colts. Like I look at this as some really like when you come back off the bye, we're talking about the Bucks and the Titans, two very winnable games. And then when you're looking at the standings here. And you're looking at the playoff picture. The Bengals are the first team out, right? Colts are right behind them, half game back. Uh, so they'll catch up here once they come back off the bye. So you've got two winnable games and then a chance to go in and kind of control your own destiny. If you start, if you play well in those two games, you got a chance to go then kind of control a little piece of the playoff pie and the playoff picture with that game against the Bengals in what, four weeks now after the bye. So like, I, I, I look at this as an interesting stretch. Like, it, this is, you know, it's a really good opportunity for the Colts to try to get a little bit healthy, uh, try to work on themselves a little bit. You win those two games coming off the bye, and bang, man, you could be rolling here going into that Bengals game. Rhett, Rhett Lewis, NFL Network, our guest. C.J. Stroud talking about Houston in the yeah. South. You know, Stroud has been just dynamic, and I loved him at Ohio State. I'm going to be honest with you. That doesn't make me unique, and I hate Ohio State for that matter, right? But that doesn't make me unique either, right? Um, but at this point – you know, there are certain quarterbacks that, that come out like a house of fire and then defenses and coordinators figure out their tendencies and water starts to find its level. Have we not reached that point with C.J. Stroud or is C.J. Stroud of a skill set and an accuracy that those things are not going to be applicable? Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's the latter. Um, I I think he's going to be in the MVP race all the way to the end of this thing. Uh, truly, I, I just you know he is the Houston Texans are the first game I watch every Monday morning. It's the first tape I watch because I just like to me C.J. Stroud is must see TV. He has got he is so accurate and has such terrific ball placement. The Texans are one of the top teams in the league in terms of yards after the catch. Is that because they have the best? players at those positions to make those plays they're good but no like cj that's one of cj's superpowers is putting his receivers in places where they can go then continue to make plays on the ball uh, or with the ball in their hands so i i look at him as as kind of a unicorn in terms of rookies um i mean i was trying to go back and and uh and think about you know a rookie we've seen on a team like this that you know that was drafted really high like that that's come out and played this well i mean it's I mean, you'd have to kind of look at Andrew Luck, you know, really, um, you know, who was really good that first year with the with the Colts. But I, I think CJ's playing, you know, even better than that mark at this point. He, he is the the way he takes care of the football and still pushes the ball down the field. I mean, like his yards per attempt are up over ten. They've got explosive plays all over the place. I think he is uh, he is the exception, not the rule, on that front. So, I had talked about this too, and I want your your thoughts on this, Red yeah. Lewis, and that is. Stroud, when he was at Ohio State, was throwing to receivers that almost invariably always had separation. 
So to me, the most impressive thing about his ball placement is he's coming off a program where ball placement wasn't even as pertinent as it is in the NFL. Um, A, is that a fair assessment? And B, how do you assess that then for a guy like Anthony Richardson that maybe had to have to begin with that accuracy at Florida, which he maybe did not, but he was throwing to guys that didn't have those windows. Is there as big a learning curve for Richardson once he gets going in Indianapolis? I think what you're talking about with C.J. Stroud is is fair. I mean, you know, he had the best receivers in the country uh, every year he was there. And um, I, I thought he put them in great positions, too. I mean, like, and part of their greatness is, is because of – is in part because of the way that he played as well. Um, so, yes, on Stroud, as far as Richardson goes um, – He's got to get comfortable with a cloudy picture. Like, that's just – that's all there is to it. Um, he's got to get com- comfortable with a murkier pitch- picture. Now, the good thing is is that he can survive until he gets comfortable because he can create and improvise. And while, you know, we hope that the injuries stay away and we're not dealing with that again um, – but I, I think he can – He can. I don't want to say tread water because I feel like that's, a, that's kind of a negative term, but I feel like he can continue to find ways to move the ball down the field even uh, as he tries to become more comfortable with seeing defenses in a different way than he did at Florida. So I, I think there is still some time there um, that, that uh, Richardson needs, that the Colts need, to, and especially now that he's only played a handful of games in his rookie year um, – but I think it'll I think it'll come for Anthony. NFL Network's Rhett Lewis is our guest. Rhett, this is kind of a multi-layered question. Are the Bills as currently constructed, and this is a team that surprisingly is in that same conversation with the Colts in terms of the in-the-hunt graphics, are the Bills as they are currently constructed broken? And is Ken Dorsey another scapegoat in maybe more blame belongs on Josh Allen, more blame belongs on Sean McDermott? Well, taking into account the fact that their defense has been pretty beat up this year. Where, does, where is the truth amongst all those blurred lines? I, I honestly, and I don't want to use this as a, as, you know, a, a way to, to skirt the question, but I, I think there's levels of blame everywhere. Uh, with Buffalo. Um, I I think that uh, Josh Allen certainly wears some. Um, I think that they have kind of been, you know, like a ship lost at sea on offense for the last two years, really, or year and a half, whatever, going back to the start of last year. It just, it it, it has felt like a, a team that just hasn't had the type of identity uh, that, you know, that they need to win. You know, you look back at, you know, where they were with Brian Dable and, and when Josh Allen was having those, you know, ridiculous years and the game against the Chiefs and the, uh, the championship game a couple of years ago. I mean, like, they could throw it deep, but they didn't have to live on it. Like, I, I feel like the offense has gotten, and I talked about this with uh, Daniel Jeremiah on our Move the Sticks podcast this week, like, it's gotten way too vertical and they've relied on that too much, and that's where the turnovers come from. Um, now, obviously, the fumbles are a different story, but, like, uh, DJ did a, a breakdown on some of the interceptions from Josh Allen, and, and over half of them were on just misguided decisions throwing deep. And you take some of that stuff away, and you're right back in some of these games that they've lost. So offensively, I think, you know, Joe Brady – um, you know, who was great as a co-offensive coordinator at LSU with Joe Burrow. They went out and empty a whole bunch, kind of cleared up the picture a little bit, maybe made some, some things 
you know, a little bit easier to see. And, you know, maybe maybe they do a little bit of that, and, and that helps uh, kind of mitigate some of the turnover-worthy plays that, that Josh has been out there throwing. Uh, but they got to get back to running the football, too, uh, which, you know, when they scored on that last scoring drive, man, they ran the football. And Josh, you know, Josh ran it in. Um, now, defensively, look, I, I think they've been good enough but they, they can't come back onto the field as many times as they've had off turnovers by the offense. So they cleaned some of that stuff up. I'm not going to count the bills out of this thing. Rhett Lewis, NFL Network, is our guest. Rhett, let's go back to the Colts Gardner Minshew. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's the guy that they're going to have to ride out here, obviously, for the rest of the year. Um, some bumps in the road sometimes looks pretty good. Can he sustain or recapture the level of play that kind of kept Indianapolis afloat here, or do teams now know how to handle Gardner Minshew? You know, like, I I think teams do know how to handle, but I think he's good enough to kind of understand that himself. He's a smart enough player to understand, you know, his limitations. Now, the problem is he's like an an extreme competitor. So like the competitor in him always believes that he can win on every rep, on every throw, no matter the situation. And so it's, it's on him to balance that because he is a smart, smart dude, right? This is a dude that was going to be coaching until he got called back to, um, called back to Washington state with Mike Leach. Like he is, he is a top flight football mind. He's just got to kind of walk that tightrope between the athletic arrogance that he can have at times. And then, you know, that football knowledge that he does have. So I, I think, um, I think he'll figure that out. I think the more that we see now and the more that Jonathan Taylor gets comfortable, I think the more you take those situations off of Gardner's plate, which is, which is a great thing for Indianapolis moving forward. Um, but I, I think he's got enough in the tank to keep the Colts competitive for that, you know, one of those wild card spots at the end here. Rhett, what have you made in your NFL network duties? I know that you yeah. are covering the league as a whole. So maybe you've only seen snippets of him, but in the snippets you've seen, what have you made of Josh Downs and what he's done for this Colts offense as not just a security blanket at times, but a real impact player for the Colts in a passing game where you look elsewhere, it's Michael Pittman Jr., it's maybe a little bit of Jonathan Taylor, Alec Pierce hasn't been what they want him to be, but here's Josh Downs like a knight in shining armor and and saves the game to some extent against the Patriots on Sunday. I love Josh Downs. I love him. And I know he's been a little bit banged up the last couple of weeks, but the fact that he comes through, you know, when they need him to, um, as you mentioned, against the Patriots, you know, I think he's, he's again, one of those guys that can hit those intermediate to deeper routes. And, you know, if we look at Michael Pittman as more of a sticks guy at times, you know, a guy with, with good hands and can make contested catches, can go up and get balls. Downs gives them just a little bit, uh, a little bit more. And I think he's given them more of what we kind of thought Alec Pierce was going to be, which is a guy that can stretch the field a little bit, a guy that can get a little bit deeper um, into those depth of targets, you know, for, for the quarterback. So I, I love Josh Downs. I think, you know, depending on, on how they figure out a way to keep Michael Pittman around, I think he's a great compliment there, a wide receiver. Um, and then uh, I, I think they still need another piece somewhere. Um, I think they – I thought we were going to get a lot more out of the tight ends this year um, than we've seen, you know, so far. Moali Cox, what, just five catches on the year. Uh, Granson's got 17. It's been a nice, you know, nice piece. Uh, Will Mallory at times, you know, can be a little bit of an explosive threat um, at uh, at tight end. But I, I still think they know another piece. But, man, they hit it out of the park, in my opinion, on Josh Downs. Rhett Lewis, NFL Network, is our guest. Yeah. All right, Rhett, I'm going to ask you a college football question now. You ready? 
and I want you to put your your heart aside. You've got to go legit, like literally, legitimately thinking about health, schedule, all factors. You ready? Yeah. The four teams in the college football playoff will be. Okay, um, I think it's going to end up being Georgia. I think it's going to end up being. God dang. I think Ohio State's going to win this thing this year. I think Ohio State's going to find a way to win this thing. So give me Ohio State. Um, give me Washington. Okay. Okay, so they beat Oregon in the Pac 12 championship game. Um, I got a feeling that Louisville is going to find a way to beat Florida State if they get into the ACC championship game. I don't know that it's going to get them into the playoff, though. Um, and so I think with that, my uh, my fourth team. Let's keep it. Uh, let's keep it right here in the Big Ten, and let's say that uh, let's say that we get two in the Big Ten again. We get Ohio State and Michigan. We get Georgia, and then we get uh, we we get Washington out there okay. in the West. Let me ask you this: If Oregon yeah. was to beat Washington, yeah, okay, which means both of them would have one loss, and Oregon would have avenged their only I think that's loss. A nightmare. A nightmare scenario for the last vestige of the Pac-12. So, I think it cancels them both out. See, that's what I was going to ask you: is Does it cancel both yeah. out, or do both of them ride in? Because I no. do think I agree with you on this. I think that with Ohio State and Michigan, I think they could both go in. One of them could yeah. go in. Obviously, would have a loss. Now, in the scenario I just presented to you, you have two teams with a loss as opposed to just one, but if Oregon was to beat Washington, do you don't think that Oregon would have enough? Like, what have you done for me lately, Cachet, to get themselves in? Mm, I don't know, man. I just – I don't. I, I think if they end up beating Washington, I think they're both on the outside looking in. Uh, and I know that they're 5-6 and six right now in, this, in, in the playoff rankings. And, and, look, that game I think would certainly help in terms of strength of schedule. We know how the committee has uh, placed a heavy emphasis on strength of schedule this year. Um, and you know what? Honestly, the, the, I mean, the best the best scenario for the Big Ten to get to is probably for Michigan to beat Ohio State, just because of the way that the committee has favored Ohio State's strength of schedule this year. Um, it, it, that's probably a more likely scenario to get to from the Big Ten. Um, I'm re- I'm just really curious to see what's going to happen in the ACC. Um, you know, if, Flo- if Florida State wins out, obviously they're they're in. Um, and so if they win in the ACC championship game, that, that changes the math here a little bit. And I think, and I look, I'm not going to count Alabama out, you know, either. Um, although, you know, they throw another loss in the SEC championship game on there. I don't, I don't think, I don't think Bama's getting in, but if they beat Georgia, I, I think you could certainly see Georgia and Alabama in there too. Um, so that's, yeah, go ahead. Red, I hate to take you through hypothetical yeah. land, but I'm fascinated by this now. Are, are you sitting here telling yeah. me that if, Louisville doesn't stub their toe against Pitt and they would have won out, there's a serious conversation that they belong in the playoff? No question. Wow. No question. Um, they no, would have I to mean, beat look, look well, where, they would have to beat Florida State, right? Correct. They'd yeah. have to beat Florida State. Yeah, absolutely. So they absolutely. would have so Louisville, if you look at Louisville and it is it's funny because you think, well, it's Louisville, right? Yeah. But yeah. Louisville Louisville is I mean, they are currently sitting at tenth. The pro, you know, they, yeah. the one loss probably dooms them either way, right? You're not going to hop them exactly. over Alabama yeah. no. if they went out, right? No. Like they're no, no. The strength of schedule is going to hurt them there. But if they, if without the loss, and if they were able to beat Florida State and hand Florida State their only loss of the season, 
I absolutely Louisville would have been in. You know, the other one that's that's and maybe maybe you mentioned them, and I apologize if you did, Red. Yeah, yeah. Texas is funny too because like yeah. no one talks about Texas, and I feel like Texas actually Texas has to be looking around at everybody else inside of their little Big Twelve party, going, "Guys, come on, help me out here, right?" <laughs> yeah, no question, no question. Um, you know. I, 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 I'm, I'm not going to count them out of this thing. I, you know, obviously we still got two weeks left of the regular season, but um, I don't know. I mean, like I, I think the math, you know, obviously beating Alabama helps. Um, the Oklahoma win, you know, at the time, uh, or rather, um, you know, I, I don't know. Texas is a, is is an interesting one. Um, I think they'll I think they'll be in there at the very end, but it certainly wouldn't surprise me if we see them at five or six, uh, just outside of the top. Uh, if they win the Big Twelve Championship game, there, just outside of the there top is four. zero chance this is going to happen. But yeah. I would imagine back to Louisville, for example. I would yeah. imagine that Louisville is like – I mean, they are wearing gold domes and shaking pom-poms, right, because they can't have Notre oh, Dame yeah. lose to Wake or Stanford because that's their loan as of right now. That's their big one. That's yep. their big one, right? And they can't have them slide out of that top 25, and then they're like, oh, man, we really don't have, you know, any cachet. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, that's that's 100%, 100% right. But I'm going to tell you, right, Louisville's got NFL dudes on that roster. Like, uh, I, I don't know that, that Jack Jack Plummer is one of them, but he's played well enough to kind of keep them rolling. Uh, Jawar Jordan, the running back, is extremely explosive. Ashton Gelati might be one of my favorite edge rushers uh, of the season after watching him in person against IU this year. Uh, I, the safety, I forget his name, was like – who uh, came in because they had injuries, I think plays really well, is a great nose for the football. Like They've got NFL dudes. That offensive line has played really well uh, this year. And then, you know, look, Jeff Brown's a good coach. Like, there's just – there's no way around that. Rhett, best team in the NFL yeah. right now is? Oh, it's still the Philadelphia Eagles. It's still the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, it's uh, – and I just, I just think that they continue to have – like. They haven't played their best game yet, and they have more answers, I think, than almost anybody, um, both on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. Like, offensively, you know, if the run game's not there, um, you know, Jalen Hurts is going to find ways to make plays, and then they've got just so many different ways to attack you in the passing game. You know, from A.J. and Devontae Smith, which everybody talks about, I don't think we talk enough about Dallas Goddard, who I know got hurt, um, but hopefully he comes back here over the course of the final quarter of the season. Uh, you know, like there's just so, and Nick Sirianni's a heck of a coach. They got great offensive innovators there, and then defensively, like they're just deeper than anybody. They're just deeper than everybody along the along the defensive line, and they'll get healthier, I think. But it's just it, there's just uh, no way around that for me right now. Couple more Indiana games for you to hear. Rhett yeah. working along with Don Fisher, starting with Michigan State coming up this weekend, and then of course the old Oaken Bucket game. Rhett, a pleasure as always, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate you guys, man. Thanks a bunch. Y'all have a good one. Again, Rhett Lewis, NFL Network. We come back again, if you're just joining us. Big news today, not only in the NFL in terms of a guy that now is out for the year, but big news in the NBA for the Indiana Pacers of a guy that is no longer a part of the franchise. And we will tell you more about that and break it down next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Three big stories happening right now. 
The first is Deshaun Watson is out for the year in Cleveland. Doesn't have a huge impact here with the Colts, except for it might because Cleveland's one of those teams that the Colts, who have previously lost to, you know, may be vying for a final wild card spot. They might be one of those teams in the chase with them. And the Browns have now said P.J. Walker not going to be their guy, right, Jimmy? It's what it sounds like in terms of where their quarterback conversation is going to go. You would think at that point it's Dorian Thompson-Robinson, the yep. other quarterback on the roster, They've the rookie. he's going to start yep. the rest of the year for now. Right? I mean, Walker, 618, a touchdown, five picks. Thompson-Robinson, 130 yards passing, three picks when he was in week four against the Ravens when – Watson was out and he started in his place. I mean, look, it, it is – and should the Browns have prepared better? Probably. But it is the quintessential conversation that every team has when their star option goes down. Oh, the backup's got to play now? Oh, wait, we're, we don't feel lockstead and ready to roll that this guy can handle it while the starter's out for the year? And the Colts were very fortunate and addressed this because they struggled with it in years past with Matt Ryan, with Carson Wentz when they went down. What are we doing if they – end up succumbing to injury well now it's Gardner Minshew and Minshew hasn't been stellar it's clearly been by design that the offense is simplified to a point of we're going to run the ball efficiently we're going to utilize check downs and in the screen game and we're going to rely on that level of offense to control time possession and win games ugly but his passing yardage in terms of switching back to the Colts for a second Minshew's passing yardage has trickled down since that game against Cleveland. He had like 305 that game, and he's barely sniffed 200 at times over the last four or five contests. They're still winning games. They're finding ways to win, and in all honesty, that's enough. What's fascinating with the Browns, though, is that I think their offense is worse than the Colts right now. Not saying if Nick Chubb was fully healthy, that's maybe a different conversation. But Chubb's not there. Your best weapon is Amari Cooper. Kareem Hunt has done what he can instead of Chubb, but they're not an efficient offense even with Deshaun Watson out there despite what they did to the Ravens last week. And now you're asking a rookie in Dorian Thompson-Robinson or a former XFL player in P.J. Walker who's had some flashy moments in his NFL career when he's gotten cups of coffee to lead a team that feels like they have a championship-level defense. For me, their defense got to keep them in games, but I don't know that the Browns have the weapons to still win ugly like the Colts do which is why I move the Browns down and think that the Colts could leapfrog them in the playoff race. Uh, second big story, Daniel Tice bought out by the Pacers, and should he clear waivers, he will be on his way presumably to sign as a free agent with the Los Angeles Clippers. Now, uh, Eddie Garrison, who is, of course, the producer for Pacers Radio, points out with that open roster spot, Eddie, you're saying the likely candidate to be able to fill that roster spot and get an opportunity now with the blue and gold would be former Kentucky star? Oscar Shibway. That would be my assumption. Uh, with the Pacers' struggles between last year and against Philly the other night and some other instances this season with rebounding, I could see the Pacers going down that well just because that is what Oscar Shibway brings is an interior toughness, a toughness and a guy who's going to – uh, rebound the basketball on his shots. If the minutes distribution doesn't change, it ultimately doesn't matter drastically with where the Pacers are right now. That said, that's what Shibay was drafted for, as Eddie mentions, to be a physical presence as he develops. He is the very definition of a glass cleaner, and he's done well to this point in the G League with the Mad Ants. So at this point for the Pacers, if that's who fills the roster spot, I don't want to call it fully inconsequential, but good that you can build it internally. And worst case, since it's a two-way deal, you have the flexibility to still 
have that, not to use the word again, but have that flexibility for in the trade market as we get closer to the deadline. Okay, and then the third big story, um, I, I got word on my rental car fiasco, okay? You did. Yeah, so here's, I, I'm going to say this as... You're still a, using fiasco, so it's not been solved. This is a cautionary tale for all of you who are traveling. And if you want specifics, I will be more than happy to share them with you if you text me, if you're going to be traveling overseas so that I can give you my precautionary precautionary tale. But I'm desperate at this point for someone to help me out here, so I'm going to share it anyway. And I know that this is kind of tired, but I do think people will find it probably amusing. So I'm not going to say the name of any companies, okay? But when I was in Europe, I was very fortunate to be able to go there. I'm very happy and very you know blessed to, to have that opportunity. So when we went over there, we were in Brussels, Belgium, and we're going to go to Luxembourg. I always wanted to go to Luxembourg, and the train was a little bit convoluted to get from one spot to the next. So I thought, oh, you know what? I can rent a car. I am in the top loyalty membership group of a car rental company, meaning that I've used it enough that I'm in their top, you know, whatever, loyalty group. Doesn't mean I expect perks, but it means that I've been very loyal to them, obviously. Formerly, at least. Uh, the name of the company, I, I would assume, is a popular one for the quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles. Probably his favorite rental car company. I don't know that. It's speculation. So I rent the car, and we walk in, and the agent at the Brussels airport says, well, you rented the smallest car here. And I said, well, yeah, because I'm only taking it for two hours. I'm driving it literally for 110 miles. And she said, oh, well, you, you need a, a fancier car than that for your for your wife. I said, oh, Okay. So she said, here, we're going to give you a Lexus. It was a coupe, but it was, it was cool. I said, okay, great. And she said, because it has Luxembourg plates. So presumably they needed it to be transported to Luxembourg. So I'm like, great, yeah, wonderful. You scratch my back, I scratch yours. Well, let's not use scratch here, and I'll tell you why. Uh -huh. So they hand me the sheet upon the – and it has like six damages listed. It's got a scratch here, scratch there, whatever. I look all around the car. I'm like, okay, we're good. We leave. I'm in the car for literally two hours. I drove it point A to point B, did not stop, other than at the very end at the Luxembourg airport just before it to fill it up with fuel. It was like, you know, $8 or something, eight euros. So I get to the Luxembourg airport, and it's one of those where you park the car in the line, and there's like one guy that's like checking out all the cars. And so he says to me, I said, well, you know, I want to make sure that my fuel gets reimbursed, whatever else. He said, we well, got to go see the gate agent. No problem. Well, the keys, here are the keys. There's the car. And he says, no problem. What's, he, there was a, a language barrier. No fault of his, obviously. I'm in his country. So I go, and there's no, no one at the gate. There's no gate agent. But I'm like, okay, well, you know, I literally had the car for two hours total. The receipt shows that I had the car for two hours and six minutes and went like 112 miles. So clearly, I wasn't like gallivanting around in it. I was on interstate the entire time. Now, were you drag racing? None. Okay, all right. You can I tell, again, important. I was I was also, Jimmy, I was making very clear that I was under the speed limit because I don't know the rules. You know you know what I mean? Yeah. So you can tell by the time and the mileage that I literally drove from one point to the other point without stopping other than clearly the, the gas fill up. So I get a statement after the fact that says that I have $700 in damages to the car. And I'm like, no, I don't. Here, Here is the paperwork that shows. So I call the customer service of the rental company, which is fun because now we're adding a third continent into the equation. And in calling that, there was a, kind of a language barrier there, but that customer service representative says, well, you need to call your customer service representative when you get home in the U.S. 
So I did. And they said, oh, we have nothing to do with the European division. You've got to call the agent where you returned it. So I did. That agent said, well, let me look at it. Comes back and says, you know what? It did list six scratches on the car. You are correct. However, one of them, it's listed as front left and it actually is on the right. So that's $700. And I said, let's think logically here. I've never had a single issue in 47 previous rentals. Never had a single issue. But do you think it's maybe possible that that – should I have noticed the disparity of the two sides? Maybe. But she then sends back the paperwork upon the drop-off, and it says, customer hereby accepts responsibility for these damages. There's no signature by me. That was never presented to me. So she says, I'm sorry, we, we can't reimburse you. Hertz says to me, I'm sorry, we can't reimburse you. Uh, sorry, I just said the name of the company. The rental car company says to me, we can't reimburse you because that's a different division. So I challenged it with my credit card, which I'm assuming a lot of people that work for that credit card company are fans of the New York Mets. And the credit card company just sent me a thing today saying, you have not re- supplied sufficient evidence that anything was wrong here. I have the entire paper trail of all of it. And in the end, it's whatever. I mean, like you end up paying it. Uh, it it's going back on my card because they had originally they had originally credited me. But I think it's ridiculous because and, – and I told him, I'm like, I will absolutely pay for the rental of the car. No question. I, I rented the car, and I appreciate them being – giving me that opportunity. But I 1,000% without any question whatsoever did absolutely nothing to the damage of the car. Nothing to damage the car. And, and I think what happened was they had a car that, that, that somebody previously had damaged – skated somehow or they weren't able to collect on that and so therefore a car that i didn't even previously rent they assigned to me because they thought here's an american that we can charge i really think that's what happened i do too end of story one other note i will say and jake this is not to say like i think you are i think the company is in the wrong here i don't think you've done anything wrong but another advice piece with renting cars and maybe you did this jake regardless if there's any damage on the car or not Take like fifty-five pictures before you oh, go anywhere with well, it. Oh, I had pictures. You have pictures. I before? have them. Okay, then there you go. Then I have them, and they, they, sure. it wasn't good enough. I'm like, it's unbelievable. Yeah. I have pictures. I have the paperwork. I have everything. I picture. I, matter of fact, for fun, because I thought it was a cool license plate, I took pictures of the Luxembourg license plates after the fact. So I have the post pictures and the before pictures that match. Is there any match. higher up you can climb this ladder, or no, is it over? Apparently so, not. Apparently right. it's over. I have no idea. So that that's my question for people: like, where do I go now? Because stateside, they're like, "Yeah, man, you, you know, you're there's nothing you can do. You got to deal with that." I mean, I the only other option, and I know it's a gross one to sometimes have to do, is call an attorney. Well, I'm not doing that. The attorney probably would be. The attorney would be more than the damages, right? But but at this point, here's the thing: I'm like Jerry Seinfeld with the crest on on the. I just want to return it for spite right it's not even the money as much as the blatant yeah. fraud yeah it's a blatant fraud and the fact that the company doesn't care that's the thing that's the most infuriating like the, the thing that amazes me in today's day is you, you and and again if i had been responsible a hundred percent will accept that responsibility but you would think that they would look at it logically and say okay we have made ten thousand dollars off this guy in the last three years in car rentals and we're, he's never going to rent for us again because we won't credit to them what is probably a drop in the bucket, but to me is a significant amount of money. It, it's just the logic of it all, right? It's just the logic. You know, you asked what Eddie was doing today. He actually has been working hard. 
Eddie has been drafting other rental car companies for you, and it's going to be a whole little song and dance. You can go through each Heck portfolio yes. and figure out where you're taking your talents, Jake. No question. No question. I'm taking my talents elsewhere, right, exactly. is what I'm doing. Exactly. Anyway, so there, there's that's my sob story, and if that's the worst thing that happens to me, I'm the luckiest. I'm already like the luckiest guy on the planet. Uh, somebody's like, "Hey, Jake, their USA division should make it right." I'm telling you, they've already told me that they have no responsibility for it, which is mind blowing to me. Totally mind blowing to me. Anyway, end of rant. That's all. If anybody has an advice, any advice, text me. Let me know your advice on what to do. I think probably the answer to that is, Jake, you're screwed, right? Yeah, I think it is. Ever since you've told me this story. I feel like they got one over on you. Totally. The idea, the idea of, well, you know, we got to put you in this nice car. Get this other car over here. This is great for you. It's perfect. No, there's no question that's what happened. Yep. And I'm I'm a pretty street smart dude, I'm telling you. Like, I, I, mean, I took pictures, the whole deal, thinking that that would be sufficient, right? I've got the paperwork, all of it. Like, what do you do? But if that's the worst thing that happens sure. to me, I, again, I know that I'm the luckiest guy on the planet, right? Yep. I know that I'm the luckiest guy on the planet. What are you going to do? Do we have advice here, Carl? Yeah, they're calling in. Okay, who do we have on line one? Scott. What's up, Scott? Scott, you there? Yes, sir. Okay, go ahead. Can you hear me? Yep. Yes. Hey, I used to work for a rental car company, so maybe I can give you a little advice. Okay. Um, Have you thought of reaching back out to the rental car company and asking them for a copy of the rental agreement from the previous renter good question i have not you mean from the person that had it before me would they be able to to give that well they might uh delete some of the personal information but at least it would show you the car condition before you rented it well the car condition before i rented it i have i mean the car condition when i picked it up i have it you mean from the previous renter? No, no, no. What I'm saying is when I picked the car up, it listed damages. Those damages are consistent with the damages that were re- when I re- when I dropped it off, except for on it says on the when I dropped it when I rented the car, they said it has scratches on the front left. And then when I dropped it off, they said it doesn't have a scratch on the front left, it's on the front front right. So we're charging you for the front right. And I'm like Yeah, yeah. so what I'm what I'm recommending is ask them for a copy. If they'll provide it of the previous contract prior to you renting it, the person that rented it right, I got before you. you did. Yeah, I got you. And, to- see, and see what the what was marked on that contract. And then maybe ask for the contract for no, I got the you. Pre- I mean, previous I- rental before that and then before that. Because, I, like I said, I used to work for a rental car company, and, man, we would get really busy and – you know, we would kind of pencil whip stuff and, and miss So how common is it, Scott? Let me ask you that. How common is the issue? Very. Okay. I appreciate it. Um, Alex Golden's going to join us at 2 o'clock, by the way. Big Pacer news and a big win last night. We'll take a look back in the city of brotherly love as well. It's good looking, really good looking Wednesday outside. Gorgeous. I guess the temperature is supposed to drop, what, next week, Jimmy? Is that right? I believe so. Enjoying the final days of shorts no kidding, where I no man. longer look like an no insane kidding. person. No kidding. It, w- let me ask you this. Would you rather have it be, like in January, Yeah. would you rather have it be 40 but cloudy every day or 10 degrees but like this outside? 10. 
It's tough, man. I, I, the cold weather. As you I get thought older snow was going to come into play in that question. It did not. I'll take the. I'll take the cold. The sunshine. Yeah, the, 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 as I will agree in the fact that you know the precipitation is what drives you nuts, right? When you yeah. got a shovel and, and scrape and everything else. Uh, Terry has advice. Joins the program. There we go, Terry. What's up? Well, when I called, I I had a suggestion as a plan of attack. As I sat there, I maybe cooler head prevail. <laughs> Terry, uh, I need you fired up, Terry. Come on. <laughs> I think you ought to go scorched earth on that company in every way imaginable. Like put an enormous amount of energy in it for maybe a week, you know, and something will happen for you. Now, By the way, Terry, can can I get you Speaking of scorcher, Terry, can I get you to to opine on a text that I just received since you're a caller on the program? Sure. Jake, why have you changed so much since the morning show? Your ego's out of control with callers. You're better than that. D- d- was I rude to somebody? Nah, I don't. I don't know. Uh, I haven't been on that long today, but um, I would say that you've changed some. But I think that you're more into your own deal now and you can be more yourself kind of full-time and uh i would say that 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 fellow has got some easily ruffled feathers i think it's i always think it's funny terry when people text me on my independent personal phone line that i give out over a radio show to tell me how unapproachable i am (laughs) right doesn't that seem odd yeah that well it's people so, Terry, here's the thing. I would go scorched earth, and I appreciate it, except for – and by the way, the reason, if you thought I was rude to Scott at the end, it was only because we were up against it. I had to, to get to a break. That's why we I ended the call with Scott. Um, the I would go scorched earth, except for – I do find that boorish, to be honest with you. Like, this is not a radio show for my own personal gain. I just think people can, can – uh, other people can probably benefit from it. Tracy might have his own thoughts. Tracy, what's up? Hey, um, this is common practice with um, going out of the country and renting cars. You can look it all up on YouTube, and you'll see all the scams about it. Um, I think the best thing to do is expose them because if you put it out there on YouTube and uh, just the media, they'll see this, and then it's going to hurt them, and they're going to come back with you and ask you to take down the video, and they'll be willing to do something else. Now, what about a radio show? Would that be as sufficient as YouTube? Yeah, 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 but but make sure they see it. <laughs> I know that's the thing, right? That's Tracy. The problem is, other than you, Scott and Terry, I'm not sure anybody heard it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All on YouTube, these people. It's always underneath the car, little scratches, and they're like, "Come on, man." Yeah, I, and, dude, uh, I'm yeah. telling you. And that's the thing is, I was on Interstate Tracy literally the entire time. I'm like, there's no way. I didn't drive through like a. I didn't drive through a, a, a forest. You know what I mean? To build off of Tracy's point, Jake, and I don't think you want to do this, but I've seen other social media users do it. You could always share the story on Twitter and tag them in it. Oh, I did that. You did. You did. Oh yeah. Like we're like put yeah. everything out there, tag and, them, and in, then when I did, I got reply. the automated thing. Like, thank you. Send us a DM and we can help, Abby. You know, and I'm like, Abby, I thought you were doing. Colts hat picks, right? And then, and then, and then I just got it was all automated. Just bots, here it is. You know okay, I mean? all right. Then yeah, I have no, I have no other ideas. All right, let's go to Paul. Paul, what's up? Not much, Jake. How you doing? I'm. All, is this Paul the mailman? Yeah. The is. director of giddiness. Today. Paul, you sound less yes. giddy today. Everything going okay? Everything's always good, Jake, except uh, for you. 
<laughs> no, no. What do you mean? I'm I'm in a good mood. Did you try to run a car, Paul? What happened? Uh, I did rent a car. Actually, when some kid uh, uh, totaled my charger, uh, I had to rent a car. Uh, <laughs> but Jake, Jake, what I want to ask you is how many scratches were on the front of the car? Like I said, the front of the car it listed a scratch as being on the front left, and when I returned it, oh. they said no. Actually, it's on the front right. Okay, so was that from the driver's side or from the passenger side? Because if you're looking at the vehicle, then a left side. No, no, it, it it listed it on the on, when I picked the car up, it listed it as being on the passenger side, and when I dropped it off, they said no, there's nothing on the passenger side. There is a scratch on the driver's side. Okay, so there was no scratch on the passenger side, just on the driver's side, but they put in the paperwork there was a scratch on the front right, right? Again, as I explained it, I mean, the the original paperwork when I picked it up said there was a scratch on the passenger side and nothing on the driver's side. When I dropped it off, they said there's a scratch on the driver's side and nothing on the passenger side. Okay, so my my thing is you should have said to them, so then – Paid me for repairing the scratch. <laughs> no, no kidding, right? Right. On the other side. That's exactly right. Like I said, Paul, it, it just came down to like simple logic, right? Like, which do you think is more likely here that, that the person that originally was filling it out just circled the wrong side of the car? It's pretty clear, right? Yeah, they 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 played you on that one, Jake. They they got over on you, and it's what you said. Somebody got over on them, so they was gonna stick. It That's to exactly the right. Person. To rent, because that's why she changed you from the smaller car. Oh, there's no doubt. To that car. But I will say, Shannon was thrilled when she said, you need this car because your wife deserves better. I, and I'm like, okay, I don't disagree with that. Hook, we got line, time. sinker. We got time for one more, so let's squeeze in Craig real quick before we get to Alex Golden. What's up, Craig? Uh, hey, Jake. It's actually Greg, but that's splitting hairs. I, my my uh, suggestion to you is, presuming that you rented the car with a credit card. Correct. Uh uh, often, and if it was an American Express, most times it was not. Times, the credit card, as I, I mentioned, though, the credit card denied my dispute. Well, I understand that, um, but uh, most credit cards, when you rent a car, will provide um, insurance gratis for your uh, for any damages during your rental car time. Correct. Um, at least I travel a lot, so that's always been the case. I never buy the. I never buy the rider uh, at the rental car Agre- company. Agreed. I, and, and, if, and if that's the case, I'd let my my the insurance uh, relative to the credit card uh, fight it out for you, unless you just enjoy the fight. They are in telling me they are telling me, Greg, that because it was an international rental, the coverage does not cover it, and that's on me. That that part of it's on me. Yeah, right? I get that. Um, yeah. All right. You know what yeah, I mean? Well, we don't we don't read all the fine print, right? That's that's that's, yeah. that's on me on that one. Appreciate it, Greg. Appreciate everybody's calls on it. Alex Golden with us next. Big news from the Pacers tonight and a big win last night. We'll take a look back at that. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. It felt like a playoff atmosphere. At least that's what star guard Tyrese Halliburton said about the Pacers in-season tournament victory, 132-126 last night at Wells Fargo in Philadelphia, a place the Pacers had been unsuccessful in eight years since winning in that building, five years in that building, I beg your pardon, on the back of an impressive evening from Tyrese Halliburton as well as Obi Toppin covering the game as he does every 
Pacers game day is Alex Golden, creator and host of Setting the Pace podcast on Blue and Gold Substack. Alex, I'll start here. Do you buy into Tyrese Halliburton's quotes post game in that for him, as a guy that has never been a part of the playoffs, this was really an entry path for him to get to experience that and taste it with an in-season tournament high-stakes matchup against Philadelphia with them basically at full strength? I'll buy whatever Tyrese is uh, selling (laughs) at this point right now. Tyrese Halliburton is just out of this world playing basketball. And I mean, if this is what it takes to get him motivated, I mean, that's great. It's great to see that these in-season tournament games have meant something to these players. They're taking it to another level competitively. And I'm hoping that we get to see that continue. If they get a win, I believe, next Tuesday against the Hawks, that will clinch them. Uh, the the East Pool A, so they'll be able to advance and head to Vegas. So, I mean, that is a nice incentive. You get some extra money, go to Vegas. Sounds like a pretty good plan. And uh, just love the way this team's been playing, though. They've been playing really solid all around. What do you make of the Daniel Tice buyout? Is this something that surprised you at all on the surface, or does it make a lot of sense given that he's only appeared in one game this year and probably is wanting a little bit larger of a role at this stage of his career? Yeah, I mean, last season you have to go back to when they decided to pull the plug on Daniel Tice after he played seven games for the team and decided to let Jalen Smith, Isaiah Jackson, get that run. And he wasn't happy about that. And then he comes into the offseason, doesn't get traded, and then he has to start the year out with the Pacers. And once again, he's the four-string center. So it wasn't surprising to me at all. I think that financially there just wasn't a good trade out there for uh, the Pacers and the Clippers. And he really didn't play a lot last year, so I'm sure that his trade value was not that high. So – Coming to a buyout agreement makes a lot of sense. It allows Daniel Tice to go somewhere where he can play and eventually get some minutes, and and hopefully he can help the Clippers out because they need all the help they can get right now. And obviously he wasn't getting any minutes here. He had some minutes against the Bucs, I think, last Thursday, the only minutes he had of the season for the Pacers. So one of those things where this roster is too loaded already, and there's guys that, besides Daniel Tice, probably that wish they were playing that aren't. So wasn't surprised at all that he was let go. You know – Alex, I was surprised by it a little bit, and I'll tell you why. Um, In the moment, you're right. I wasn't surprised, right? Because clearly there was just something that that was not working. But I I don't really know what it is, Alex. I I thought when Daniel Tice was acquired, and I know that he was acquired kind of as a – you know, it wasn't like they said, like, let's go out and try to get Daniel Tice. You know what I mean? Like he was probably a salary match throw-in. But – I did think that they had vision of areas where they could use him. And, and I, for whatever reason, I don't know. You know, last year it might have been a health thing, but it seemed like they, they never really went to that. And Rick Carlisle would know better than I. I get it, right? But I don't think that it was any sort of a, like, round peg, square hole type thing, was it? I mean, it doesn't seem like he, he was a problem per se as much as just for whatever reason. Maybe it's that point they thought that – Jalen Smith and Isaiah Jackson were better suited for what they wanted, but I still think they could use an enforcer, quite frankly. Am I off there? No, and I mean, honestly, when you think about it, for me, when I look at Daniel Tice, I don't think he fits the style of play the Pacers want to play, and that's fast and up-tempo. That's not his style. So I think going to a team like the Clippers makes a lot more sense, a little more slow-paced, more of a half-court offense instead of a – you know, a team that wants to run constantly. And Daniel Tice talked about how tired he was after that game against the the Bucks because Pacers just play at such a fast pace, he's not used to doing that. So I, I definitely understand your point of view. And I think that we also just have to give credit to guys 
like Jalen Smith, like Isaiah Jackson, were going in there and kind of proving and edging him out a little bit, even though he was the veteran. Because I thought to myself, there's there's a chance he legitimately could be the backup center this year if they're serious about winning because of what he brings to the table, being a skilled player. But Jalen Smith has been out of this world for, for a backup center and what he was last year. So I think that it just makes a lot of sense for why they decided to go this way. But, you know, there, there is areas that could have utilized him a little bit more, but I, I just don't think he really fit the play style. I, honestly, him coming out after during the Boston game and saying that he wasn't happy with his role, I kind of felt like that was the writing on the wall for him saying, please get me out of here. It felt like last night – Alex Golden joins us, Pacers coverage all season long with Setting the Pace. You can find that wherever you get your podcast. It felt like last night was the perfect encapsulation, Alex, of what the Pacers want to be as the season evolves, which is, sure, maybe our defense isn't perfect, but we know we can outscore just about anybody, and we can get the stops when they matter most. They did it a week ago against Milwaukee, even though Damian Lillard did not play and they do it last night in a game where both Tyrese Maxey, who gave them fits on Sunday, and Joel Embiid, who always does, were left in check for most of that fourth quarter. Is that the ideal scenario for this Pacers team as the season goes along, that they're able to do just enough defensively, but at the end of the day, there's not many teams that are going to be able to outscore them? Yeah, I mean, that's hitting the nail on the head right there. I think Indiana is one of the best, if not the best, offense in the NBA right now. And they're led by one of the best point guards in the entire NBA, and Tyrese Halliburton. And so they play to his strengths. They play to the team's strengths. And that's getting out running, playing fast. And when you play fast, it means you're going to score a lot more points. And you're going to give up a lot more points. So defensively, yeah, they, they clearly have a lot of work to do. But they've gotten better. You've seen the improvements incrementally. I've been really impressed with Bruce Brown and what he's brought to the table. I think Aaron Neesmith as well has been really solid defensively. And then it's kind of been hit or miss for Andrew Nimhart in terms of him getting the opportunities to play, but when he's been out there, I felt like his defense has been pretty solid on the perimeter as well. So you're, you're seeing steps by this Pacers team defensively. It's just they haven't been able to string it together for a full 48 minutes. But like you said, being able to close games, that I thought the way they handled Milwaukee you know, just a couple of games ago, being able to hold Giannis scoreless the final five minutes of that game was just huge. And the way they were able to rotate and double-team him and kind of force him left and force him to the baseline and not allow him to get back to the middle where he thrives was just great overall team defense, self-awareness. I mean, Ben Matherin really stepped up big in that game, too. So it's like you're seeing the, the baby steps for this defense. It's not all the way there yet, but it does, it does give you a little bit of hope because, you know, offensively, uh, this is a team that's going to really be able to put some points on the board. And I thought last night against Philadelphia – um, they didn't really shoot the three ball particularly well outside of Tyrese Halliburton, and they were still able uh, to get a big victory. So I love seeing that from the Pacers team, and I think that's what we're going to continue to see is just finding different ways to score offensively and uh, doing their best to maintain the other team's scoring with, with their limited defense. You know, Alex, Buddy Heald is a guy that to, to me is interesting because uh, you know I've seen a couple games now where he's been a little slow. And maybe, to be honest with you, when he was a starter – Maybe when he got off to slow rhythm starts in shooting the ball, it's masked a little bit because it's like within the flow of everybody kind of getting their feet underneath them during the course of a game. But when he's having to come off the bench, there have been times where it seems like he wasn't necessarily the, the automatic ignition, but needed to kind of get in rhythm more than when he was starting. Do you think he remains a sixth or seventh guy and can find flow at that spot the rest of the year? 
Ooh, that's a that's a great question. I think projecting wise is hard with Buddy Hill because he's been really up and down this season. I think you've seen some games where he's been lights out, and other games where it's kind of like, why is he out there? And I kind of felt that way last night in the fourth quarter. He had two turnovers and wasn't really scoring the basketball. So it's kind of like, what is Buddy Hill bringing to the team if he's not scoring? Now he's gotten better as a as a passer, and I think defensively he's an okay team defender. Not great, but he's okay. In that moment with how they were hounding Halliburton, I was a little bit surprised that Carlisle didn't go to more of an Andrew Nimhart type player to play kind of a second point guard next to Tyrese because the offense was, you know, a little bit more challenging to get into with how Pat Bev was just pressuring Tyrese the whole time. So for me, Buddy Hill, he's a guy that he's going to get the opportunity because of his shooting ability. He's an elite level shooter. Rick Carlisle trusts him to do that. But I think it's got to be a little bit of a shorter leash if he's not really connecting on his threes and, defensively he's not being as impactful as maybe somebody else could be how can you trust him to be out there in closing moments obviously it didn't hurt him last night but I do think that Buddy Hill he's going to be fine we know he's a good shooter he's not going to be perfect every game and it is a different role for him I think he's adjusting to it a little bit still but overall I I feel like Buddy Hill's in a fine spot and him as a sixth seventh man for the long term would not surprise me but I do think that uh, there's other options on that bench that could be sixth seventh man particularly Aaron Neesmith and Andrew Nimhart. Pacers writer, podcast host for Setting the Pace, Alex Golden, is our guest. Alex, 27 points on 12 of 15 shooting with six rebounds. The stat line for Obi Toppin last night in the win over Philadelphia. It felt like the type of game that many thought when he was drafted out of Dayton in New York that this is this would be his career, averaging like 25 a night, maybe flirting with double-doubles as well with his ability on the boards, and he would grow into a nice pro. We know why that did not happen in New York. That is not what is being asked of him on a nightly basis in Indiana. While that is nice, where is the middle ground in terms of a, yes, Obi Toppin works in this system if he's doing what on a nightly basis? Yeah, so Obi Toppin even talked about this. I think it was last week after they played the Spurs and he had a pretty good game. He's like, me and Bruce are kind of the dirty the, the dirty workers, and we kind of let Ben, Miles, and Tyrese score the basketball. Well, we saw that change last night against Philadelphia, and he was really able to use his athleticism to take advantage of some of the slower defenders on Philadelphia. And I really liked when they went to the small ball lineup with Aaron Neesmith and him kind of playing the four and the five. They were able to attack Joel Embiid and just use their speed to get around him because he's a little bit slow-footed. But you're right. Obi Toppin, it's, it's been kind of a hit-or-miss thing with him, too. It's kind of been of a roller coaster ride. Like last night, I think, honestly, like this might be a hot take, but I, I really do think that was probably the best game of his entire career. We've seen him put up 30-plus points a couple of different times, but those were in in April when the games didn't matter nearly as much as you're playing teams that are trying to position themselves for a better draft pick. So for a meaningful basketball game to shoot that well and and to be able to get the ball in the basket and play solid defense, rebound the basketball decently well, I I think that's the ceiling for Obi Toppin. So somewhere in the middle is probably around 14, 15 points a game, maybe five to six rebounds, and just being an efficient shooter. I mean, can he continue to be an efficient scorer and shooter? That's what's going to keep him on the floor. I think Rick Carlisle has tended to lean more Aaron Neesmith at the four in closing moments because of the defense. And if Obi can get better on that end, I, I think that that's going to keep him on the floor more too. Alex, Rick Carlisle calls you on the phone. He goes, Alex, Rick Carlisle, how are you? Hey, listen, um, I've, I've got to run down to Virginia this weekend for Parents Weekend, and so I don't have time to look at a lot of tapes. So I need your advice here. And you go, okay. And he says, can you watch tapes for me and then uh, create two columns? The first column is guys that are elite defenders that it's in their nature to defend. 
and the middle column are guys that when they really dig down are competent defenders. And then the third column obviously is going to be everybody else on the roster. Uh, give me the people that are in the first two columns. Okay, this is a tough one. I'm, I'm going to put Bruce Brown, Andrew Nimhard, Aaron Neesmith, and then Miles Turner in the ones that I think are the elite defenders of this team. Okay. Guys guys that can defend when they want to, I think that's Ben Matherin. Um, I, I might even throw TJ McConnell in the first one. I kind of forgot about that. So I would potentially throw him in there. He's just a little bit undersized, but um, he, he falls somewhere in between. I, I would say Ben Matherin definitely is one that has what it takes to be a good defender. Um, Jalen Smith, I would throw him in there. Same with Isaiah Jackson. They're just a little bit inconsistent for their defensive uh styles of play Tyrese Halliburton I don't think he's in that category Buddy Hill's not in that category um, Jordan War is not in that category I'd, I'd probably say Jarris Walker could be in that category but he's still pretty raw same with Ben Shepard so they're kind of hard to tell right now with where they're at but uh, I'm trying to think if I've missed anybody you know yet, Alex but... what's what's interesting about Isaiah Jackson for example I think there are certain guys that their their natural abilities lend them to naturally instinctively be good defenders, but it doesn't mean that it's necessarily in their automatic DNA. And Jackson's kind of that way. Like he is he is long and springboard enough that he and and he has a natural instinct to try to like block shots, but it doesn't mean that he's always putting his body in the right position or doing it and going about it in the right fashion. The good news is you can't teach the first, right? Right, but at the same time, we're still kind of waiting for the everyday to take place on the second, and that's kind of what's frustrating, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean Isaiah Jackson, I really think he lost that backup starting spot or backup center spot to Jalen Smith throughout the preseason, and it's just because of the inconsistencies. I think that he's more of a natural gifted athlete than he is a natural gifted basketball player, and I know that kind of sounds weird to say, but. I think that he's more of an athlete than he is an actual basketball player. And I think Jalen Smith's kind of the opposite, where I think he's got a better feel and understanding for the IQ side of the game. And, you know, Isaiah continues to, to show steps that he's taken and steps and ways that he's improved. I think that the rebounding has gotten better. I think he had nine last night, if I'm not mistaken. Um, the, like you talked about, the instinct to block shots has been really big. It's just his inability to stay out of foul trouble has been what's kept him off the floor. And I think that that would be something that could change if he was a better defender. So, like you're saying, I agree with that that stance because if he was a better defender, then he would have the IQ to learn how to position himself and not to always get in foul trouble because it seems like it's a reoccurring thing with him uh, just to get in foul trouble and just not positioning himself the right way and not knowing when to take the right foul and when to let things go sometimes. So I think that's the, the case for Isaiah. Alex Golden of Setting the Pace joins us. You can subscribe to Setting the Pace wherever you get your podcast. Alex, with Tyrese Halliburton, he's 23 years old, and it feels like that what he's able to do on a nightly basis, whether it's his pure scoring ability or his pure facilitating skills, he's going to be able to deliver in multiple different ways for the Pacers night in and night out. As you look at where his development can continue to ascend, I won't make you cap what he can do, but but where does the growth go from here as the Pacers hopefully start to hit their stride, not just in the in-season tournament, whether in the driver's seat, but really setting a solid foundation and building on their 7-4 and four record? Yeah, I think we're kind of seeing it this year already, but it's just kind of knowing when to take over a game and when to be a scorer and when to be a passer and kind of figuring out when he needs to be one or the other. And I think 
Last night we saw it in the first quarter. He came, he comes out and hits four four from three. Was really looking for a shot early on, which allowed him to be more of a passer later on in the game. So I think that's just like a fine balance. Like he's got a really high basketball IQ, so I'm not really worried about that. The other part, I think Quinn Buckner mentioned it on the broadcast Sunday, was just the defensive effort. Like he had a mismatch where Tobias Harris had him in the post, and he completely just bowed down to him and didn't even really put up any type of fight. So I think that there's a there's a point where Tyrese, you know, he's never going to be a great defender, um, especially on ball. I think he has the potential to be a decent off-ball defender with the ability to shoot the gaps and, and create steals. But as an on-ball defender, I think there's a way that Tyrese can improve and just get a little bit stronger in that area because you can't, you know, he's a skinnier guy, but you can't have guys just bully you in the paint that easily, especially when you're six foot five. Like he's got a tall enough frame that he should be able to handle those guys a little bit better. So I, I just think defensively, if he can really take that next step and just be more of a uh, a capable defender instead of just a, a someone that other teams are targeting, that's what's going to help him elevate his game to the next level. Alex Golden, you are how old a guy? I am 31. 31 years old. Your birthday's when? August 27th. August 27th. Okay, so. I'm going to we're going to do the little game here where you're going to close are you driving right now? I am driving. Okay, well I don't want you to close your eyes then, okay? <laughs> um Okay. But I want you to we're we're going to we're going to take ourselves a little voyage into the future. <clears throat> Excuse me, into the future here, okay? So, in this voyage, Alex Golden is watching a Pacers game and it's late in the game and on the floor getting a key play, a key rebound. And then later hitting a key shot is Jarris Walker, the young player for Indiana that was selected within the first 10 picks of the 2023 NBA draft. And he helps Indiana close out a key game or just a game in general. And they win, and he was a key contributor. And Jeremiah Johnson grabs him on the sidelines and interviews him, and they talk about it. And he goes on, and you, and everybody says to themselves, that's why they drafted him. He's arrived. You are how old in that scenario, and it is what time of year? Great question. I'm going to say I'm 32 years old when this happens, and I'm going to say it probably happens in, let's say, December of 2024. Okay, so 13 months from now, right? Yep. Okay, same same scenario, but late in the game, they Tyrese Halliburton is doubled and he kicks it out to Ben Shepard, who hits a couple hits a three, and Kristen Aries like. And that's three threes now in the fourth quarter for Ben Shepard, and Indiana now leads by seven. And you turn the game off, and you go out to dinner, and you're like, hallelujah. You are how old, and the windows are up and down because it's warm or cold outside. Okay. Well, just to kind of keep it consistent, I, I think there's going to be a big roller. I think it's going to be a bigger role for Ben Shepard next year because there's a chance Buddy Hill might not be back on the roster. So I'm going to say the windows are – they're going to be down because this November weather has been nice, but I think it's going to be a home game in November next year. I'll be 32 years old, and we're going to have we're going to relive kind of a Chris Duarte moment with Ben Shepard, and he's going to have some some big moments coming off the bench, being that uh, eighth or ninth man off the bench, and the Pacers are going to really uh, have a nice spark from his three point shooting. Speaking of that, I haven't seen what's Duarte done this year. Do we know? Uh, it's not been very good. I think he even got hurt, if I'm not mistaken. I, it's been a while since I checked in. I, I, he was starting at one point, but I don't think he's doing that anymore. That might have been preseason. So just trying to find him ways to, to get with Sabonis. The last time I did check, I, I think it was a 
did not play a coach's decision. So, yeah, it's it's not looking good. I think he's averaging around like five points for the year. Uh, Alex Golden, by the way, setting the pace is the podcast, is our guest on the program. Uh, Alex, so far, what's maybe what's pleasantly surprised you? I mean, Tyrese Halliburton play, you know, his play has obviously been the storyline. But what has pleasantly surprised you about this team? Yeah, I, I just think that the effort they play with, it's one of those things where they don't allow things to really get them down. I think they just have a good spirit about them, a good energy about them. And we saw that kind of last year, but they've taken it to another step. I mean, it's been a little bit under the radar. And if you look at the box score, you're probably not impressed that much. But I feel like Bruce Brown has just been a great addition for this team and what he's been able to do defensively. You know, it's been kind of weird to see how many guards they have, and it's it's tough to get enough minutes for everybody at this point because, you know, Mathern, I think he played like 16 minutes last night after just having, you know, a great game two games ago against the Bucks. But it's just been the collective group effort from everybody stepping up. But if there's one individual or two that have really stood out to me, I got to go Aaron Neesmith. I think Aaron Neesmith has just been fantastic for this team. And I know totally you guys are talking about it at the beginning of the show. He does whatever the coach asks of him, and, and it's whether it's be a scorer tonight, be a defender tonight, be a dirty worker tonight. He doesn't care. He just wants to He just wants to go out there and win basketball games, and I think that's what was awesome whenever they did the exit interviews last year. He said, you know, Pritchard was like, we're not sure if he's a six-man or a starter, and he said, I don't care. I just want to do whatever the team needs me to do. And you can't find enough guys like that that really impact winning. So, you know, I've just been – I've just had a – bit of a crush on Aaron Neesmith and how he's handled himself, how he's brought, you know, played this year, how he's brought himself uh, to this point in his career where he's just, he's a, he's a pivotal piece for this Pacers team and their success. Now, Alex, I, I gotta, I gotta ask here because I'm not necessarily what one calls good at context clues, but I think I just got some there. Did, did you just drop in the humble brag that you were listening to this show at the beginning of the program? I did. I was checking it out just to see what you all had to say about the game last night. I was curious. Did Did you find it to be uh, educating and entertaining in any way, shape, or form, or intriguing? <laughs> I mean, it's always entertaining with you, Jake. You just never know. You're always on the edge of your seat. <laughs> well, yeah, sure. Now, Alex, and I got a zero bar for you, by the way. There's your payment. Uh, Derek said <laughs> to us, I'm, I'm re-gifting. So, but here's my question, Alex. Somebody just sent me a thing, because you've been on with me when I was on the morning show before Andy took over, right? Um, yeah. And, and somebody just sent me a thing that said, basically, since I've moved from the morning, now I'm a jerk. Now, now is that true? Would you agree with that? You're just more awake. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so does that make me more a jerk? Are you saying that I'm that like naturally as the day goes on, I get more jerkish as I wake up? No, it's it's not. You know, what's actually really funny is I had somebody uh, stop me and they were like, uh, like, I heard you on the radio, and I was like, Oh, how'd it go? They're like, Oh, it was good. They're like, Jake was making all these predictions about the Colts, and guess what? He was wrong again. And I just started laughing. They're like, They're like, I don't know why Jake thinks he knows everything. So. I don't know. Maybe it's a story of my life, right? Here's the thing, though, Alex. When you do radio, this is what's funny. When you do radio, you can be right 364 days a year, and you're wrong on the 365th, and then people are like, that guy's wrong all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's that's how it is with doing the podcast. I mean, you have a take, and it doesn't totally. play out. And it's just like you live with that for the rest of it. Like, like despite all the times I've been right. Like the guy that called in, we were talking about Jim Harbaugh, and this guy calls in and is like, I don't know why you guys are talking about this. It's a nothing story that's going nowhere, and everybody else has moved on from it. And three hours later, the guy gets suspended for the year. And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, was that <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I guess it didn't matter. I don't know. I mean, just big news all over National Football League or College National Football League. So it's yeah. like – People are just people are just interesting. Sometimes you can't win, you can't lose. You know, you win some, you lose some. It's just 
you can't please everybody. I've learned that the hard way through doing the pod and I, I almost media and everything. Oh, I said goodness. seven six Colts over the Patriots, and I was that close. Jimmy, you know yeah. I was that yeah, close, I right? Was, I was rooting for your 7-6 in the final 7-8 minutes of that Wrong game. Wrong again. Alex, if you could change one of the following about the in-season tournament, and you can only pick one, and that's how it's going to be for the rest of its existence in the NBA, what would it be? The time of year it takes place, an auto playoff and or play-in spot is given to the winner, or the courts are fixed? Okay, so I actually like the courts. I know they need to get a little bit uh, safer or whatever. But I do, too. Like the paces had had too many issues last night so that's good i will say that the one thing i would like to see change is potentially the time of year because november is a weird time and i feel like people don't take it as seriously um in terms of like the fan base is turning in uh, tuning in all the way i think they could make it bigger instead of just four games of pool play i think they could expand it to maybe eight games and see if it gets a little bit bigger I, I i don't really know what else they can do but i mean i'm enjoying it i think the players have taken uh it seriously enough where it's gone to another level but at the same time you just wonder could it be a little bit more impactful if there was more games added to that pool play and maybe made it a little bit more of a like a series like maybe both those games against the 76ers count for the play-in instead of just one since your last name's golden and the Pacers are blue and gold. That I'm going to take them out of the equation here. What's your favorite sports team that uses gold as a color? Oh, besides the Pacers? Yep. I don't even know if I really have one. Well, who, who do we got to work with here? You got Golden State, obviously. You got Notre Dame. Yeah. You got the Lakers, right? Um, I'm not going Lakers. I mean, I guess I'll go Notre Dame because they're home hometown, but – Boston College. How many people outside of Indiana, like if you stopped 100 people on the Las Vegas Strip and asked them what state Notre Dame is in, how many would say Michigan? (laughs) I have no idea. What what do you think? Jimmy, how many people do you think know that Notre Dame is in Indiana? I think it is less than I'd like to think. Correct. (laughs) Correct, right? I mean, it's more than 50 out of 100 probably. Um, Alex, what do you got working on the podcast? Yeah, so your buddy Derek Schultz is coming on tonight. Oh, to boy. Okay. Well, sorry I asked. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then Rob Mahoney, who wrote that piece on The Ringer, he'll be he'll be joining us. And uh, we should have some more guests coming up this weekend as well. And then uh, this year I've also started a blog called theblueandgolden.substack.com, and I do a 10 thoughts after every game. So it would be great if you guys could check that out. Everything on there is free. Um, I do have payments turned on if you'd like to make a pledge, but there's no incentive to pay me to read my work. I'm not going to do that. And then lastly, I should say this, uh, we we sparked up a partnership with Ripple Bagel and Deli and Broad Ripple. Lo- and that place is awesome, sandwich. by the way. Did they still have the David Letterman? You know, I'm not I'm not quite sure, to be honest with you. But, but they've got something with you, have, right? Yes, they have a sandwich called the Setting the Pace. So it's um, it's salami, turkey, and provolone on a garlic bagel with lettuce, cream cheese, and provolone. I'm telling you, it sounds like a lot of cheese. It sounds like a lot of mess, but it, it is worth it. And it is uh, they, they definitely do a great job of giving you a, a lot of meat. So it's one of those things where me and my wife went and tried it, and it was phenomenal. So I'm, I'm encouraging everybody to check that out. And if you go down there and try it, let them know you heard about it on the podcast, and they will give you a free side drink or dessert. So nice little incentive there to go down there and get you, get you a sandwich. Alex, appreciate you as always. Looking forward to following the coverage the rest of the way. And, hey, driver's seat of the in-season tournament, setting the pace, one of the best places to go get that action. Enjoy the rest of your evening. All right, guys. Thank you so much. We'll see you. It's Alex Golden.
host of Setting the Pace. And he's right. I mean, it feels like from a overall standpoint with where the Pacers are at, everything that we said about the last two years of losing and this being a leap forward year, so far 11 games in, they have very much put themselves in a position for it to be a meaningful season. You know the one team that by now you would think would be like, there is a team in professional sports that the fan base has to be like, when is it going to pay off? Because we've been paying the dues for it forever. And seemingly by now they should be upper echelon. And I was thinking about that yesterday. And I had a question about fan bases in terms of teams as well. And I'll ask you both next. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. So here's a question for you real quick, Jimmy. So when the other shows are on, do they have things saying we're talking about it and then I'm included in that one and you're included in that one and that show's not? Is it because it was during this show that they don't – do they not know that we're talking about stuff too? Do we know? The answer to your question is no. To which? The first part of that question. Or the second, probably, right? Probably both. Because we're talking about it too, I promise. Um, The Oklahoma City Thunder have been stockpiling draft picks forever, right? Yes. And forever, it's been like, man, Oklahoma City's – we're like in year six of being three years away for Oklahoma City. And so – and I, they have good pieces, right? And they have uh, 26 first-round picks over the next couple of years. But the Oklahoma City fans have got to be getting restless at this point. And, I, and I'm saying that being serious because I was thinking about it yesterday. I'm like, man, and they do have good young players. But the way that they had mortgaged away the for the future for repeated years, it, it would seem as though now – you know, it would be like the Houston Astros or the Miami Dolphins or, you know, where you look back and you go, man, I remember now when they just completely cleaned house and started from the bottom and now, holy cow, they're good, you know? And and you just, I don't know that you really think of the Thunder in that fashion. But I got to thinking about this last night, which maybe tips the hand a little bit towards you on where my thinking is. But a couple of years ago, and we've seen this before with with cities. It's like winning in cities becomes contagious at times. Like I remember when, for example, when the Colts were like twelve and zero, and the Pacers were en route to a sixty win season, and literally the talk of the the professional sports world in both sports started in Indianapolis. Quite frankly, then you had this incredible run for Boston. The Patriots were going to Super Bowls. The Red Sox were in World Series. The Celtics were rising. The Bruins went to the Cup, and that show A Million Little Things was based on the Bruins. You know, Boston had its day. And there are cities that you look at and you say, okay, the the drought is noticeable. For example, right now, the largest cities, as a matter of fact, when the Colts won the Super Bowl, the the largest U.S. city by population having never won a pro sports franchise championship, I believe, was 
San Diego, maybe, or no? There was there was somebody right before the Colts, but the Colts won it and got off got off that list. San Diego, I believe, now has that that dubious title. But my question for you, Jimmy Cook, is this: If you were somebody like you, being born and raised in Indianapolis, assuming that any person is a fan of all of the professional sports teams within the market they live in, I'm not saying that's always the case, but for the sake of this exercise, it's going to be. What city right now has the most spoiled fan base in in terms of the competitive nature of their teams right now? Not from three years ago. Not, you know, Boston was the Boston sure. kind of surrendered that throne. It would be who right now? Okay, in the last twelve months, are we saying basically right now? In two, the guy, everybody waking up this morning and and pushing out their chest, and it's like, how do you feel about the pro sports teams in your market? The city that right now feels the best is who this morning? Philadelphia. I would tend to agree with that, right? Because you've got – now, a buddy of mine last night, my buddy Doug Weiler lives in Philly, and so I texted him during the game last night and said, rank for me amongst the teams in Philly which one you most want to see win their next championship. And he replied back and said, first off, the Flyers are dead to me. I'm like, really? You're a season ticket holder. He was a Flyers season ticket holder. I'm like, why? And he's like, they're a mess. And, yeah, it's Philly though, right? Yeah. He's like, they're a mess. Dead to use a term of endearment out there to some extent. Correct. Um, But I would agree with you because the Phillies are coming off the World Series. The Sixers, even though they've kind of underachieved, are absolutely in the thick of it, right? I mean, you'd be hard-pressed not to include Miami. You look at what they did last year. The Panthers made the Stanley Cup You're final. Right. The Heat made it. They had Boy, Miami's uh, a good one. Yeah. Uh, Miami well, made a final they don't four. Have a right. team. What's that? Well, South Florida. They're okay, the Panthers. Fine. South Florida. I'll, I'll group them together. Okay. South Florida. No, they have the that, Panthers. The Panthers. The Panthers are in the South Florida region. They're not directly in Miami, okay. but they they're in that okay. window. The Panthers I'm are sorry, in the same arena as the Heat. Are they not? No, no, no they're not. No. They're, but they're they're in they're, they're in Lauderdale, right? They're in. Homestead. If I'll put it to you, okay, home that, place. That's Miami. Whichever it is. Yeah, I mean, it's if, 30 minutes, right? Whatever, 30, 45 it's minutes. It's the Miami Metropolitan Area. Correct. If you're, going to, if you're going to a Panthers game, you're flying into sure. Miami. Sure. Yes. I, Miami's a really good one. And you don't think of that because, like, nobody's from Miami, right? I yeah. mean, people that are Dolphins Sunrise. fans. It's like, Sunrise, that was it. Sorry, I couldn't remember what it was. That's the name of the town they're in? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's Brendan King. He's been a diehard fan for seven weeks. No, he was just no, there the other no. night. He's a, um, he's a diehard. Okay, so what... What city is the most depressed? I was going to lobby a different city out there with Philly. Okay, go sure. ahead. Denver. Yeesh. I, uh, Broncos have won three straight, so that's the reason why I would even lobby that with the Nuggets. This and then morning, you've got okay, you, I mean, you might be right, but the Colorado Avalanche are good too. Here's the problem with with the Denver case: the Nuggets are carrying a lot of weight, and nobody really cared. Correct. They're a football town. Denver is there is I mean it is unbelievable. It's interesting because Shannon's brother lives in Denver, right? And he just came out for the game. And so I was asking him, I'm like, how big are the Nuggets now? And he's like, now they're big, right? But the Broncos there are so – I mean, it literally is like – the fanaticism for the Broncos in Denver is like peak Indiana basketball, peak Peyton Manning Colts, and peak Indy 500 all wrapped into one for one. I mean, it's unbelievable in that town. Mm-hmm. But you're right. I mean, if the because the Broncos are starting to show a little glimpse of life, maybe. And certainly you're right, Eddie, in the fact that the Nuggets have been good and the Avalanche are competitive. The Rockies are okay, right? Yeah, they're all right. I mean, they're not, they'll never be good in Denver, but that's just what it is. I mean, 
but they're they're not a laughing stock, right? I mean, they're the worst team in their division, but other than that, yeah. But no, but they've been – haven't they been in the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, right now, I guess you're right, right? I mean, to, to the spirit of the question. So which which city then would you – if you were a beer distributor, you would want the most beer sent to what city because people are just drinking away their sorrows over their pro sports team? Do you want to go first? Detroit. See, but uh, the Lions, Lions have changed that. Other though. than the Lions, Pistons. I mean, yeah, you're right. Although Tigers. The, I have no idea if the Red Wings are, are good. I mean, they're I good no right now. The Red Wings are big there. They're big. Yeah. I would, your submission I, would be? I would. I've gone back and forth with this. They're both NFC North teams or NFC South teams. I apologize. I would say either Carolina because I'm grouping the Hornets in there. Okay. The Panthers are abysmal. Okay. Or Atlanta. Okay. Because the Hawks and Falcons are both mediocre. How about this one? Mm. No disrespect to trade. Ima- imagine if imagine if you spent a, a a percentage of your earnings per year on your season tickets to go watch the Washington Wizards, <laughs> and then you're like, "That's cool though," because Sunday the Commanders, man, I'm watching Sam Howell yeah. and the boys. That's going to be good. I'm going to watch them go get beat by 21 by the to the Eagles, and then you're like, "But but you know what? Summertime's here." Give me a beer. I'm watching the Nationals and their push for 50 wins. Nah, but hey, and I have no idea. The Capitals might be good. I don't have any idea. Chicago. Yeah, well, yeah, you may be right. Chicago I mean, right now, currently. The Blackhawks are the team that people in Chicago are most excited about. You're you're getting excited over Division Two quarterback that maybe he's the guy, right? Mm-hmm. You don't know if if the White Sox are going to be playing in Nashville in three years. Ah, the Cubs were competitive this year. I'll give them that. I mean, I somebody jumped all over me because at one point, Mark Dykton, when I was doing the morning show, and I'm a Reds fan. I mean, you know, that's a whole different talk show. But Dykton, the Cubs had beaten the Reds, and I said something on the air like, yeah, but the Cubs' inevitable fade within the division is coming. We know Milwaukee's going to win the division. Ah. And, like, every time the Cubs would win, somebody was, like, sending it. Like, it's been nine days since Jake Quarry said the inevitable <laughs> fade of the Cubs. And I'm like, I get it. My mom and dad are huge, huge, huge Cubs fans. Huge Cubs fans. Even though the Cardinals are there, and since we just opened the doors in this conversation, St. Louis is perennially there just because of the Rams being moved and – you know, it's so interesting, Jimmy. When I was in St. Louis and covered the Rams, the greatest show on turf. I mean, I was there during that time, right? Warner and Azakim and Isaac Bruce and Falk. I mean, it was, and and that town really did fall in love with the Rams. I mean, they well, they won a Super Bowl there, obviously. Yeah. But you know, that is such a Cardinals town through and through. Yeah. Um. You know, the Blues are well supported, and the Blues are cool, right? I mean, the Blues are well supported. You you can become a Blues fan now because you have reasons since you bought the Ballys. <laughs> Valley, yeah. Right. <laughs> like you've got to have something to justify it since you can't see the Pacers games half the time on it. You might as well go ahead and watch the Blues. But, but the Rams, people there are still so shell shocked over the Rams leaving, and I think I told you guys when we had Adam Archuleta on. The last time I was in St. Louis, I went over to Rams Park in Earth City, Missouri, and which is suburb. I mean, it's suburban St. Louis, and it's creepy. I mean, it literally looks like one of those like weird websites you see of like abandoned amusement parks. Just this, what was a state of the art NFL facility, and there's grass growing through the parking lot, and you can barely fade and see Mike March's name and the parking spot, and it's it's creepy stuff, man. It's weird. Today's plays of the day entirely in the NBA. We will take 
the Boston Celtics and lay the five as they are in Philadelphia against the 76ers. Jimmy, can I ask a dumb question? Yeah. And I'm no, there's I'm, no dumb question. I'm being, I'm being actually serious here sure. for, for those because I enjoy it. But but for those that may not know, can you explain what you mean when you say lay the five? Yeah. So the Celtics are favored by five points. So I am laying the five, meaning they need to win by more than five for my bet to win. Gotcha. So you are accepting the spread. Fi- yeah, saying. correct. Okay. Correct. That is correct. I'm going to go against the spread for the Minnesota Timberwolves. They are six-point underdogs tonight against the Phoenix Suns, so they need to lose by less than six or win outright for that bet to win. And then I'm taking the Los Angeles Lakers straight up on the money line as they host the Sacramento Kings. An impressive 5-0 and yesterday. Eddie, you went 2-0 and yourself. What do you got? Yep, uh, I've got three different bets. I will take the Dallas Mavericks minus five against the Washington Wizards. Um, um, that's not good for me in terms of our NBA game that we've got going on because, you know, I've got the Wizards. Anyway, uh, Dallas got blown out last night. They're on a three-game slide. I think this is a big spot for them to come away with the big win in Washington. Um, I will be taking um, Devin Booker over 24.5 points. I think that's just a lock. I don't, I don't see uh, Bradley Beal being uh, as much of a scoring option. And I think it'll be Booker and KD and Matchup-wise against Minnesota, I like Booker. Um, and then, unlike you, I will be taking the Sacramento Kings on the money line today. Now tell me this. The Wizards have won two games, and you sacrificed by letting me pick, and then I returned the favor by letting you pick which chocolate bar you wanted that Jake brought back. Was it worth it in terms of that trade-off? Was the chocolate as good as two wins in no, 10 games? It, yes. It, 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 so in fact, it was better. Tony's Chocolate is what it's called, right? Yes. Uh, it, what? Which kind did you get? I got the milk chocolate. It's just regular milk chocolate? Correct. And Jimmy, what kind did you get? It was a like an citrus caramel, with it, like inside with the chocolate filling, or with the chocolate exterior. Have you, have you tried yours yet? I'll be honest with I, you. I won't be the offended. Ol- no, no. The only reason I have not is I've outside of just now when I took out a zero bar, mm-hmm. I've been avoiding the sweets with so, the cold. So how did yes. you know that it was a citrusy? Because caramel. that's why he didn't want it. He was reading the description of it. He doesn't like caramel. I don't like caramel. But it's written in Dutch. I'm impressed that you knew. Is citrus in Dutch citrus? Is this just, is this just like German? <laughs> it's carbon copy. So like German where yeah. we had no idea, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Some context clues. So the milk shot. Now, is the, do you have any of it left? I do. I have about half of it left. Oh, look at you. Did you put it in the freezer? I did. Oh, yeah. It's a pro that's move. What you got to do. You know, I took a piece of it, too. I was like, because sometimes I did this with Hershey's. Scoop some peanut butter. Oh, divine. You know, I don't know if you know that or not, but somebody did that once, and then uh, his last name was Reese, and he came up with this new invention, you know, right? You know what's funny about that? I got a text from Tony East this morning, and it was a video of a guy explaining how to properly say that. Reese it is in Reese's. And, and I I mean, I have always said Reese's, Okay, but yeah. it is Reese, right? Yeah. Which makes perfect sense, right? Mm-hmm. By the way, I looked it up because you had mentioned the Los Angeles Lakers, and I was curious of this. Maybe this is news to everyone but me. But last night, I thought to myself, you know what? I'm really curious to see, because I thought he was just a wonderful player for Indiana last year, um, how Jalen hood Shafino is doing. Now, do you guys know the answer to this? I do. He hasn't played because he's hurt, right? Correct. He has a knee contusion. But I didn't realize that he has yet to play at all. Yeah. Uh, suffered it on October 13th. And a right patella contusion suffered October 13th. And it says he has not progressed to game simulation. He hasn't even done simulation yet. No setbacks reported, um, but he is due to come back, quote, at some point in November. He'll get opportunities. They they need depth at the guard position. That's part of the reason they drafted him. Whenever he gets healthy, he's going to have opportunities out in L.A. And that size, just, you know, when you're – I just thought as the year went on at Indiana in particular, the thing that was interesting about him, he was not a great shooter, but he was good enough with his body control – 
he was good enough to, to figure out just kind of how to get in the lane into places where he was, you know, able to hit like eight, ten foot jumpers, that kind of thing. Especially that Purdue game. Yeah. That's the one that really jumps out. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm excited to see what he's able to do, but he's got to get healthy. Got to get on the floor. Yeah, they've got some injuries right now at the guard position, so he'll definitely get time when he's healthy. Uh, what do we got going on? So, Eddie, you're on vacation, is that right? Yeah, kind of staycation, but yes. You're staying home. Yeah. Gonna watch a bunch. Of t- you know what you should do is watch Shawshank Redemption. Nope. <laughs> Why would you not watch Shawshank? Redemption? I, he remember, wants to, he, we remember, have a group watch. I thought you said that you want us to watch it the first you time. Open your doors over at Casa okay, de Query with Boo. All right. Are you allergic to cats? No, I have a cat. I'm not. That's right. You do have a cat. You were going to watch Boo for a little bit. Yeah. Boo, Boo by the way, uh, my cat is on a, a restricted diet now. Uh, Boo, oh. Boo is getting a little pudgy. You know, so is We're ours. Changing so, foods. Yeah. You know what you should do? Huh. You should watch Shawshank on vacation and then do what Jake does with Jeopardy, and you can predict <laughs> what happens when you watch it at Jake's house. There we how go. about, by the way, the other day, to show how prophetic this show can be when we educate and entertain, I had mentioned to you guys the other day, it came up serendipitously that Kansas is the Sunflower State, and last night oh, I'm watching yes. some random game show, and the question was, what state is the Sunflower State? And, and I couldn't believe... Or which state is Kansas? Because the answer was the fl- Sunflower That's State. That's right, and then he yeah. had to know it was Kansas. I couldn't believe the guy knew it. Yeah, and, I, and then I thought to myself, "I bet he listens to this show." I wonder if he knows that's what, the what we try to do here, right? Uh, that would be a great question. And it is the Huma Huma Nukunukuapuaha, by the way, is the state fish of Hawaii. So tomorrow we will do our Thursday road trip, and then on Friday we will do the two minute drill. We are lining up all of those things right now. But for tonight, we will sign it up to John. I just saw him walking around here in a little bit, so he will be joining us. Thanks again today to Rhett Lewis for joining us, also to Alex Golden for joining us on the program. Gorgeous weather outside. Enjoy it. John is up next. He will help bring us home. You've been listening to Quarry and Company here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.